Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Friday the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Jason, you can't fight him. You can't stop him. And now, you can't even keep him on the screen. Friday, the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Now, when it comes to killing in Jason's woods, Jason will come to you. Friday, the 13th, part 3 in 3D. A new dimension in terror. It will scare you. Count on it. and 15 seconds after the hour of 11. And this is the month of February in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, me amigos, me compadres, my fellow travelers on the road of amusement, uh, this is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for joining us today. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, Those are the call-in numbers for our radio show today if you'd like to interact with us. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970 Dot A.M. Richie Bristol will be standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along. He's not even willing. Here's the thing. He's not uh, like really sort of able sometimes. He is ready occasionally. He is willing most of the time. He is able, I would say, 48% of the time. I mean, he's batting. But, I mean, really, I mean, if he was a baseball player, though, he'd be a Hall of Famer. So, I mean, you know, 48%. We'll accept that. It's close enough for jazz. Anyway, uh, so he is uh, there, and he will pass along your thoughts and observations to us via a telephonic interaction. It is uh, 503-733-2970. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today will win NASCAR, the ride of their lives, on DVD. Get ready. The ride of their lives is coming to DVD, narrated by Academy Award winner Kevin Costner. This adrenaline-filled journey takes you through the history and heroes of NASCAR. 
The story of NASCAR is told by the legends who lived in a must-own for all NASCAR fans. It is available on Paramount Home Entertainment, CMT Films, NASCAR Media Group on DVD now. The ride of their lives on DVD. And it's one random on-air caller today. And then um, coming up later on in the program, we will have what I do believe is the final Happy Valentine's Day or not breakup story. And then... I don't think we'll get to the other ones today, but I've had Bridget sort of set aside all of the entries. And we'll get, we'll sift through them because we've been pulling them all randomly. Because you know, that way it sort of keeps people from going, well, mine was a lot better than that guy who won yesterday. I demand that it be reassessed. So we just sort of pulled them randomly, which means that some of them were horrifying. Some of them were just, you know, very sort of run-of-the-mill. Uh, but so we've got the final one today. That it, This is a, for a $75 gift card. And while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to black out this person's name. And she's asked that we not use her name at all in any of it, not even the first name. So I'm going to black out the name right there. So it's that good. Well, it involves a crime. So I'll, I'll, leave, uh-huh. I'll leave it at that. So I think she doesn't uh, want to be identified for that reason. So later on the day, uh, we will have the final winning entry in the Happy Valentine's Day or not proflowers.com breakup story contest. That's today. And then uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just get the whole pile of them. We'll kind of go through them either today or Monday. And we need to kind of read all of the great entries. So that's coming up today as well. It's 503-733-2970 if you would like to uh, join us. Also coming up in today's program, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins at some point in the uh, future. Although I know everything, everything's gone kind of uh, wonky back east because that plane crash, which is just... Which I didn't really know about until I picked... I, uh, it wasn't even the paper. It was I, I, I opened up Yahoo News or something. I didn't morning. know until you told me. It was in Buffalo. It was like 47 mm-hmm. people or something. So, anyway. So no, I think it's 49. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, this is a bad, bad, bad thing. So, um, anyway. So, not to be like Johnny Buzzkill right off the uh, right off the bat here. But we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins later on today. Uh, we will talk to our good friend Dick Giuliano uh, as well. He'll be joining us at, I say, scrolling forward, at 1135-ish... Dick's joining us at 11.35. Uh, we have Steve at 1.15 and Lisa at 12.30. Excellent. Fantastic. So that's all coming up uh, today. Let's see. What else? Our good friend Lisa Hughes will be joining us today. Lisa Hughes, formerly of the CW. Uh, she will be uh, stepping in uh, during the noon hour today. Formerly of NPR, uh, Ketzel Levine will be joining us uh, around uh, 1.30-ish or so. Ketzel Levine, who is the, the Portland correspondent for National Public Radio. And then she... I shouldn't give the whole thing away right now, otherwise it's not even really a secret. So if you listen to NPR all over the years, you, you, you recognize the name Ketzel Levine. She was a you know, correspondent for them for just forever. But she was doing this. I mean, you can kind of see the, the twist and the punchline of this coming a mile away. But she was doing this whole series of reports about uh, the, the economy and layoffs and unemployment. And she was doing, I think it was one piece every week where she was analyzing a different industry. And she was talking about people who had been laid off within that industry. And so she would say, well, this week we're, you know, profiling it, you know, with a farmer. This week it's an auto worker. This week it's whatever. And the final piece she did for NPR actually ended up being about her because uh, she got laid off. So, so that is an interesting sort of Rod Serling end to it. Uh, so we'll talk to Ketzel Levine, formerly of NPR, uh, here in Portland later on uh, today as well. Let's see what else. Uh, today's top five. Top five Stevie Wonder love songs of all time. We'll be doing that. Top five Stevie Wonder love songs. Uh, Scott Daly will uh, join us from Film Fever Radio. And uh, we'll have another exciting installment of Facebook Poetry. Oh. I know. I'm refreshing it right now. I'm printing before anyone can change. Excellent. And it's time to do the big Facebook synchronization, by the way. So uh, what I would like for now everybody to do is to go to your Facebook page, uh, log in, and go to your Facebook status. 
Please now to go to your Facebook status, because in about two minutes we will do a mass synchronization where everybody will change their status to uh, that of a relentless uh, advertisement for this very fine radio program. So we'll do that in about two minutes. Go to your Facebook page now, ladies and gentlemen. And you're uh, all screwed because I printed my statuses. That's uh, fantastic. All right, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm doing very well. Very, very well. I don't know what else to say. Did you do anything exciting last night, I Sarah? did do something exciting, Rick. What um, was it? Well, I went and... Let's see. I don't know, I did a lot of things yesterday. All I know is I called you at about 9 o'clock, and it just sounded like there was... You sounded like you were in the middle of a Super Bowl party or something. Yeah, I went... Where were you at 9 o'clock last night? Let's see. Well, I went out with my friend Eric after the show. He's the one who... Uh, shot the video for the Portland Music Awards so oh, he right. gave me like a disc for the Portland Music Awards thing so I met up with him and then went back to my house took the bus downtown met up with Kelsey and went to like the fancy bar at the Marriott with like her and a bunch of her co-workers the Marriott down on front? yeah the okay. other one right down right. there and of yeah. course I look totally scruffy I'm wearing like my shirt with all the holes in it and I just look like <laughs> totally dirty and, hey who's uh, that chick who's, uh, who's that chick in the cl- whole, whole covered clothing all these like women are looking at me like I smelled bad and then and then we went over to Morton's and visited our friend Mock the British the Brit who's actually listening right now um just back on the Marriott thing for a second so if you don't know what Sarah was wearing yesterday we made some reference to it that you were wearing this it was a pink and white sweater, which I quite like, by the way. And you don't seem like a girl that could that would really rock the pink, but you, but you, but it does. It, it like it looks good. But then underneath it, you have, I don't know what it is, like a long sleeve black shirt. But then the sleeves, because I guess you just owned the shirt forever, and everybody has that one item of clothing that they wear until it just starts to disintegrate. But it actually looks, it almost looks as though the holes were there by design. I mean, they were kind of in just the right place. But but the sleeves have just, I mean, you got these these big holes in them, and. So now when you're talking about going to the Marriott and you're going to the, I'm just imagining you as like the Julia Roberts, uh, like before when she's on Rodeo Drive, sort no, of trying I, to shop I'm at the jewelry store and everybody's, yeah. <laughs> no, they all looked at me like, I was, yeah, I basically did feel like a dirty prostitute when I was there. <laughs> I'm walking through and there are all these like businessmen, you know, in like their suits and stuff and like these really snobby women who are like looking down their noses. Who is like, that? Yeah, and I'm wearing like holy jeans and like my shirt covered in holes and it's like, Excellent. and everyone's like drinking martinis. I'm like, yeah, what's your cheapest beer that you have? <laughs> That's fantastic. All right then. It was all class. Well, and then, okay. oh, and then, yeah, ended up hanging out with my friend uh, Jedediah and riding around on his motorcycle and then went and sang karaoke out on a bar on 82nd. You really do just have, <laughs> you have a life that is just, that it really is so unpredictable from one day to the other. I don't even know what's going to happen. I didn't, yeah, I, you know, the sequence of events that took place yesterday, I could not have predicted it. All right, then. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Good. Hello. All right. Are you still uh, vibrating with excitement from yesterday's Darcel uh, appearance? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. okay. So now that Darcel's uh, gone, now we can yes, we yes. can ask you just point blank. So how nervous were you before, during, and what did you feel like after Darcel being on the show yesterday, giving you uh, drag tips? What's weird is you know I've been in radio and I've been around like stars and I was going to ask you that too. Who is the most famous person you've been in the proximity of? Uh, well, let's see. Had Ron Jeremy, which to me was he's pretty big. Yeah, he's well, he's he's a celebrity. Uh, Alicia Milano, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Wait, hold on, let's back up for a second. When were you? So you were? These are all people that you met that you were the, in person. Is not on the phone. Uh-huh. When did you meet Alyssa I Milano? I worked for the Buzz, and I used to be do the backstage stuff, and we used to do a lot of. Jennifer Love Hewitt, really? Yeah. When? What was that even for? Uh, I don't know. I got a signed thing. It was. It's a big blur because I mean, I was pretty excited about it. Right. And she came in and. Uh, what did she look was... like in person? Was she hot? 
Well, she was dressed down because she was like incognito, and she came in the back door. Well, but that. that's actually, but that's that's a better indicator, yeah, but, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's actually, right? yeah, that and tells I you. I probably got a second, you know, over time. Like, hi, okay, what do you want me to write on this? Well, but what is your what, what is your recollection of how she looked? I mean, and if she was dressed down, and again, that that gives you a more realistic idea. Normal of what she with a like. hat, but she had some. Normal with a hat. She had like a hat and her ponytail out, I believe, and then a really nice butt. But, so she was, in other words, she was not wearing anything. You couldn't get really get a sense of what she looked like. No, and it was just, you know, there was a bunch of people, and, and like, Avril Levine came in that week, too, I remember. Did she, uh, did Avril Levine have a weird, did she, did Avril Levine, she seems like one of those people that would immediately just put off uh, just a really unlikable, bitchy vibe. Yes. Like, did. just from go. Like, just, with that, didn't, you get people, and Kirsten Dunst is another person like that, where you just get, just seeing her on the screen, you just get the sense that she's just a total, just a total C. Yeah. yeah. She oh. came in saying, like, acapella on a acoustic. Remember they used to, in their comedy, they used to have those little, uh, um, you know, the answer, when you say, do you remember at Intercom, they used to, whatever, no. Well, the answer to that is no. They bring stars in and stuff like that. Well, I'll take your word for it. But, no. yeah, I'm, I, I was more nervous with Garcelle than ever. It's yeah. weird. Well, you did a good, you, you acquitted yourself splendidly, Richie. You did a good job, Richie. Yeah, you I really stumbled did. only most of the time. No, 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 it worked, uh, it worked very well, so, uh, so But it left me it. a lot of questions about stuff, like... Questions about yourself? Yeah, about makeup and wigs and my groin. And... Uh-huh. What about I, your I, groin? Well, I seriously think like I a need classroom training film. What did you do to your groin? I think I might have a hernia. Someone just because I cough and it hurts in my abdomen. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't you mean want to say cur- cur- turn your head and cough. Turn your head and scream, Richie. That's turn your head and gush blood, please. But I, when I cough, it hurts my yeah. No, no, you have to say it. Hurts it. Say what? it. My groin. When you cough. What part of your groin? Like all of it. <laughs> I, I the insides. <laughs> right here. In and a, you don't need to point. Right here. <laughs> oh, you know where it is. Oh. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm sorry. Serious. This is serious. I, I've only been boxing for the last two weeks now because I can't wrestle. Anymore. Inside Richie Bristol's groin. You know, just for a second. Let me just back up. Uh, you sound for all the world like one of those awful classroom training films from the '70s. Where it's all muffly and there's that thing telling you to like ch- change the, the well, slider. Maybe we should have a doctor call in and see. Richie Bristol has a problem. When he turns his head, his groin hurts. When he coughs, there's an excruciating pain. And he begins to hemorrhage. And then it cuts to Richie in the locker room going, I don't know, just sometimes when I'm coughing, it feels like my. Uh, feels like the inside of my groin is filled with fire. <laughs> all right. That could be something else. No. <laughs> so, when did it. How. <laughs> Let's back up. He's been talking about his groin for yeah. weeks. Weeks. But I mean, look, maybe it's just me, but if the if quote the inside of my groin and the all of it was just filled with a, some sort of a shooting excruciating pain, that might be a thing that I get looked at promptly. I mean, why? I mean, how long has it been like this? Uh, over a month. The inside of your groin has been filled with pain for over a month. Not the ins. Well, my adductors and then my abs. Like I can't. Continue. Your abs are not your groin. But it goes when they say you know it goes from here. Do you know what a groin is? A groin is yeah, right I mean, here. Okay, right. but that's 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 here. Now I'm pointing. <laughs> I guess if I'm having to point out where the Old groin area is, you're, that hurts. you're probably beyond help. If I'm having to sort of demonstrate the uh, the section we're talking about, <sighs> so we're talking about here. But you're talking that your abs are up here. Your abs are just your stomach, right? Yeah, but right here. 
But you get closer to the microphone. That's where you get her. Well, I was showing him my crotch. I mean, thanks so much. All right. Uh, Did I miss a magical moment? (laughs) You did. Richie and I I had a little bonding. uh, It it happened just now. Because he was doing the same thing. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, you know what? So so every time you breathe, your groin hurts. Uh Have you thought about asking somebody maybe why that's happening? Well, I know why. Why? Because I've worked out too hard and I wrestled and did jujitsu. I don't think that just fixes itself though. Like if you look, this is the last thing I'm going to say about it because otherwise we can't just sit and talk about your groin all day. Okay. Much as I'd like to, if you have look, I'm not a doctor, but if you have, as you put it, I think a shooting pain all through the inside of your groin area up to my abdomen for like a month. That seems like something that maybe isn't going to just naturally that sort of subside. Kind of like cancery or something. Exactly. Yeah. You're filled with fleas. Well, I mean, it's, honestly, mus- it's, it's muscles. It's muscles. Yeah, but, but, but if it's from your smell. your special friend to your abdomen. And it's lasted for a month. That's, that's not the thing. That's like, not a muscle. It's gone get... down and up and down depending on what the activities I, I do. I want to know about how your groin is going Pretty down and up. What I do with it. Like, All right, right we're done. We're done. No, no, no. We're moving on now. All right. It's 503. What is your last thing, Richie? Last I figured out I was gay. <laughs> I think I speak for everybody when I say, what? Well, Congratulations. Well, Rochelle's gay because she's a lesbian. Are you trying to tell us something else? No. I figured it out last night. I was just thinking, well, you know what? Rochelle has to have her own persona. I'm like, well... Rachel, let me ask you this. Let me just uh, let me ask what everybody's thinking. Can it be a drag queen? This no, 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 no. Just let me ask you something before we continue, and then I swear to God, we're going to move on to something else. Is this some sort of a uh, and understand that we're an inclusive people here at the Rick Emerson Show? So I don't care. Sarah doesn't care. Certainly, nobody else cares. Is this like part four of a fifteen-step process of just admitting that you are gay? No, Rochelle. I'm just asking. Gay. I'm not trying to offend. Yeah. I'm simply asking. Because if so, we could just hurry it all along and get it taken care of right now. We could just resolve it today. No, well, less, yesterday I figured out. You know that there's I'm a Vegas line going on. You, I'm just saying, you know that, there, that there's like odds being taken about whether you, in fact, are gay. You know this. Yeah, probably. Okay, but I just, which I don't say to be, again, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, that would be okay with us. Oh. But if I'm impersonating a woman and I like other women, that means yeah, I'm but a that, lesbian. No, it doesn't. It means you're a jackass. No. It means you're every other guy who's going, I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body. No, because I'd be in a woman's body. No, no, no. no but whenever you're dressed like Rochelle, all you want to do is uh, entertain men. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. You're so, giving firemen lap dances and you, crap, Richie. Yeah, don't you, even try You were at the show afterwards okay. when there was here, a bunch of lesbians and also, sitting on my lap. All right, we can resume the mono, but I thought yes. there was going to be a very special moment. And here's the thing. Don't you... Just a little advice from me to you. You shouldn't say the thing about how you're a gay woman trapped in a man's body because every douchebag guy says that as a joke at a bar and they think it's hilarious. So I'm just saying that's that's a joke that's well that's been worn out. You shouldn't say that. But I, I'm just saying you know that I think if we were to pull the building right now, I'm, I think there would be a not insignificant a not insignificant number of people in the building who believe that that you are slowly embracing perhaps an alternative sexuality. That's all I'm saying. Which is you know, and I don't care. I really don't. Uh, I'm just trying to help you along. Sarah and I are extending a hand to you within the closet in which you might live. That's gross. I'm just saying. <laughs> and, uh, just, I wanted to be very clear about it. Men are gross. Wait, see, but 
No, they're not. You choose to roll around with them all sweaty. I'm trying to beat them up. Richard, you're on film giving lap dances to firemen. Let's just have a little reality. Why don't you understand what you're saying? Don't pretend like you're something you're not. And what's that? Gay? I'm trying to pretend I'm gay, but I'm okay. I'm just saying. I'm trying to figure out what you're saying. I'm, look, here's the thing. I'm, wait, I'm not a shrink, but like five minutes ago when you said, hey, I figured out something, and, but you put it, the, and it was the very last thing you said. It was your last observation, which to Sarah and I, I think, indicates that you were sort of toying about whether or not to even say it. And then you get to the end of the page and you say, oh, by the way, I figured out something last night. And I say, what's that, more groin business? And you say, no, I figured out that I'm gay. And then there was this long pause <laughs> after which you clarified, well, I mean, Rochelle's gay. Which seems to me, I'm just saying, it sounds to me as though you are testing out how it uh, feels to use the phrase, I'm gay. <laughs> Sarah? You want him to say it? No, 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 I'm just saying that, but when he said it just now, I'm saying, when he said the, I'm, uh, you know, I figured out that I'm gay, long pause, uh, I mean, Rochelle's gay, it seems to me like he is testing out how it feels to say, I'm gay. I think that might be the case. And which I don't and I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable. I really no, don't or to be accusatory. About, I just I don't care. But she talks about loving ladies and stuff. I have never actually seen Richie hitting on a woman. You know, that's a good point too. We've Dude, never actually Actually I've never even thought of that. I've never seen him hitting on a woman. What's that mean? What what's that mean? Like you have all these like grandiose stories of, you know, uh-huh. like your crazy love life. I have never seen it. Have you seen I'm it, Rick? No. <laughs> Maybe no. I'm not public. No, I don't I, I come to think of it I never have. Oh. I've never seen you. Uh, I mean, uh, I got uh, a date with a fangirl in two weeks. You want me to bring her in? But I've never. But I don't think Sarah and I've ever seen you like with a date. I don't think we've ever oh. seen you like in the proximity of a woman in any sort of romantic way. No. It's like a lot of my friends. I mean, I'm, I don't feel like we're trying Not to like at push you into something. But I, it, <laughs> it, I, I'm just saying that it, it sounds very much as though uh, this is step, you know, whatever, in a multi-step process of eventually just embracing uh, whatever it is you are. Because many a gay man can, like, spout about and, you know, like, take a woman home to the privacy of his home and, you know, do what he wants with her. But Richie doesn't show the affection for women. Well, uh-huh. yeah, I, and <laughs> I, it's just... Anyway, it's just odd. That's all. That's all I'm going to say, Richie. So, okay. all right. well, so Richie, if you ever that. want to talk about anything, we're here for you, buddy. If you just, or if you just want to say, like, hey, I'm gay, and then not qualify it by saying, uh, I mean, Rochelle, I like girls, or something afterward. And, he, and he, is my complex way of saying uh, I'm a man, uh, lesbian trapped in a man's body. I suppose lesbian trapped in a... Okay, but you well, can't... You sound like you're reading, like, somebody else's book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lesbian trapped. Like, you're trying to get out the sentence properly, and it's just not working. Seriously, and I can't impress, speaking of the fan, I can't impress upon you enough how much you need to not make that joke again. Okay. The lesbian trapped well, in a man's body. I didn't say that, but I... Okay, complex. douchebag jocks make that joke, and they think it's hilarious. It's not hilarious. It's not hilarious. You have to, you have to stop saying that. Okay. Uh, that's like, you know what it is? That's like, that's like, uh, uh... That is on the same level as, like, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It's it's just, mm-hmm. it's not amusing. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. How can I help you? Rick. Hello. Yes. Hold on, sorry. A little feedback there. Richie is omnisexual. That's what he is. How do you mean, sir? Well, he likes both men and women. Perhaps. Well, that's not omnisexual. That's just bisexual. Well, omnisexual know, means you have sex with, like, a chair. <laughs> well, that, that, you should ask him about that. I'm omnisexual. I only have intercourse with science fiction magazines from the 1980s. <laughs> hey, I've got a new um, uh, sales item you might want to put on your Cafe Press site. Yes. Which would be a, a wristwatch which is with the face of Charles Darwin on it. And then you could have it. It could be a Darwin watch. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah. Thank you. Sarah, Sarah. Yes. 
what do you think of this? The best font ever, Gil Sons. <gasps> I love that font. Yes. I'm passionate for that font. I knew you would be. All right, bye. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. <laughs> Hello, hi. The Rick Emerson Show um, is talking to you. You're speaking to thousands of people. Hello. Hello, hi. Hi. Hey. I was calling about um, redeeming my award. I'm that lady with the uh, penis pump story. You are. Wait, hold on. So you are the woman who had the breakup story about finding the penis pump. Yes, that's yes. me. And? And I wanted to know if I needed a password to get the gift card. Oh, I see. Oh, for the profiles thing. Richie, have you uh, have you talked to her? No. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Richie will talk to you, and uh, we will get that taken care of. We'll get the details handled. Okay. All thank right. You. Great. Thank you. One more, and then we'll break. Ah, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey. Um, a couple of years ago, back when you had Matt Peterson on the show, yes, you sir. had the revelation one day that, you know, he was kind of a corpulent guy. Matt was uh, a really Matt was privileged. A, Matt's, a, uh, Matt's a, a larger man, yes. And, uh, you know, he had the uh, whole uh, doting mother and, and uh, all that. And you realize that Matt Peterson was really Eric Cartman. Yes. Well, I've been kind of following the Richie saga here. And you <laughs> started out as a guy who's just talking about, all, like, yeah. And I picked up these chicks and I boned them. Well, do you remember the, the very first thing uh, that, that we discovered with, or were told anyway about Richie's uh, personal life when, we, when he kind of became a big fixture on the show? Is that he something he you know he'd slept with like 750 women or something, which yep. which at the time, I guess it seemed a little crazy at the time, but I, but we also sort of I, I mean I don't even really remember what our response to it was, but. But it does seem like it, here's the thing about saying you slept with like 700 women or whatever, whatever the number was that Richie gave us, that that is either not true, in which case it's like an absurd number to have picked for a lie, or it is true, which seems well, I don't know what it means if it is true. If it is true, then it just means that the universe is unfair. But okay, but, go ahead. But uh, you know, then uh, you've got the video surfaces of Richie in the dress chasing the firemen. Then he's a bold. Female impersonator. Right. And he also, and uh, Scott Nelly just reminded me that he, um, remember his special Asian man lady friend? Oh, that's right, and he had yeah. uh, cyber sex with a transsexual. Yep. Yeah. Richie is Mr. Garrison. <laughs> I thought you were going to say butters, but okay, I'll ex <laughs> we'll accept Mr. Garrison. All right, we got a break. All right. right, thank you, sir. Good weekend. All right, there you go. All right. <laughs> All right, well, this will be discussed uh, more in depth. It All has right. to be. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, back after this, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Reading a program. It's 503 733 2970. 503 733 2970. Thank you for coming by. Oh, we never said our Facebook account. No. Oh, damn. Damn. Well, it's because I got all distracted by the, you know, the thing. Is she being not gay? Yes. Indeed. All right. Uh, well, we'll do that here in just a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Show our good friend, CNN Radio correspondent, Dick Uliano. Hello, sir. How are you today? 
I'm hey, a, I'm doing great. Good afternoon from Washington, Rick. Thank you, my friend. Uh, it is uh, it is good to talk to you again. I here's uh, just uh, uh, something uh, real quickly before we talk about this uh, this this fairness doctrine talk radio uh, thing uh, that caught my eye this morning. Let's talk for a minute about this uh, about Judd Gregg, who uh, he was going to be the uh, Commerce Secretary uh, right. under uh, Barack Obama, right? and, and of course it was notable because he was a Republican. But then he got about you know however many steps into the process, and then just decided to pull the ripcord, saying like, "Well, I guess I'd rather not." I mean, what is that about? Uh, it is totally bizarre. I mean, I've never seen anything quite like it. And, uh, you know, Judd Gregg is a conservative uh, Republican. At least I've always known him that way. They've been talking that he's just a fiscal conservative, but he's thoroughly conservative. I've got to tell you, I thought it was a little odd that he uh, decided to join the Barack Obama administration because the politics would be very different. Well, apparently the more he got into it, the more he realized uh, that he was out of his element of the uh, Obama administration and he simply contacted the president and said, "Look, uh, you know, I can't, I can't do this. I mean, there are just too many political differences." Doesn't that seem like a thing that he would have known uh, from the yeah. outset? Though I mean, it's not like Barack Obama is an unknown quantity somehow. I mean, he's been out there. That's running. a great. It's a fair point. And by the way, the Obama people are saying that Judd Gregg reached out to them for the job. He contacted them. Uh, so he made the initial overtures, according to the Obama administration. So it really is strange. It's interesting. It's like that whole business of, um, I, I think it was the, the the sort of dance that went back and forth between uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton for Secretary of State no. because they didn't want to offer it to ha only to have her say no, and so they wanted to know that she'd accept, but she wanted to know that the offer was really going to be real, and this is whole, you know, because you don't want to get burned by taking somebody to the dance, and then they decide to go home with your best friend no. instead. Yeah, no, that's right. And, uh, you know, the bottom line of all of this is they'll look for someone new to be the Commerce Secretary, but it doesn't really reflect very well on the president as he tries to assemble his cabinet. You know, he comes off looking uh, a little bit fumbling in all of it, and uh, you don't know where all the blame lies. And it is it is interesting to note, I mean, it just in your um, from your journalistic vantage point, from your objective assessment, does it seem like there is a disproportionate number of things like this that have gone sort of poorly since uh, Barack Obama has taken office? Yes. And there have been some that are below the radar screen that you would not hear a whole lot about, I think, in national reporting. I'll give you an idea of one. A retired Marine uh, General Anthony Zinni, who uh, served as a Mideast peace envoy in the Clinton administration, he claims that he was offered the job of Mideast Peace Envoy. He claims that Vice President Biden called him to congratulate him. And he claims that uh, in a couple of days, as he tried to get his paperwork squared away for this job, that he was told by an Obama administration official, no, uh, we decided uh, that you're not the guy after all. And he's really upset by that and said he was treated shabbily. So, yeah, I think there have been some misfires. They really, it's sort of like the uh, presidential administration as run by the Keystone cops uh, every now and again. The, hey, let me ask you real quickly here but about this fairness doctrine, which is a phrase I haven't even heard uh, uttered aloud for some time. The fairness doctrine was a regulation that governed the content of uh, news uh, programs that were broadcast or news talk programs that were broadcast basically said that you had to give all sides of an issue. If you were going to talk about right. something, especially an issue that was divisive or polarizing, you, you had to kind of cover it on all angles. 
which was scrapped under uh, the Reagan administration. Right. But the people are sort of agitating to bring back in some corners, largely, I think, because of the perceived influence of, of conservative talk radio. So how, how much of that is just saber-rattling, and how much of that is somebody actually trying to, 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 to mandate that again? Well, you know, if you talk to the Democratic Party strategists and the staffers on the Hill, what they'll tell you is that there really are no intentions on the parts of the Democrats to bring back the fairness doctrine, that these are just Republican talk show hosts, conservative talk show hosts, ginning this up uh, to sort of uh, win support from their base. Well, that's all well and good, except there just seems to be a Democrat every day saying he wants to bring back the fairness doctrine. Former President Bill Clinton is the latest to say, yeah, they ought to look at that. Senators Debbie Stabenow and Tom Harkin said it last week, and I interviewed uh, New York Congressman Maurice Hinchy yesterday, and he said, quote, I want to reinstate the fairness doctrine. So absolutely there are Democrats talking about this, and Republicans, it, it gets them up in arms because they feel it would basically kill conservative talk radio. Conservative talk radio flourished after 1987 when the FCC killed that requirement to present opposing views of public issues. And did, I think it was last week or maybe 10 days ago, something like that, that there was a, a little bit of a, a kerfuffle about Rush Limbaugh and some comments he made about the Obama administration, and then this editorial he had written and ran in the Wall Street Journal, and I went home and my wife is, I mean, this is, you know, my, my wife is a massive uh, bleeding heart, and she's a member of MoveOn.org and, you know, whatever. Uh, so I went home and my, my wife, who... At this point, should have like sort of uh, enough uh, intellectual distance from the whole issue of talk radio as an entertainment medium. Right. So, you know, I went home and she just started reading me the riot act about Rush Limbaugh. And the interesting thing about it is that, like, it's but Rush just must be doing this in his sleep though, because he ran exactly the same playbook on the Clinton administration, which is that you just where you just poke him with a stick until they say your name in public, and then you know, and then uh, and, and you know, and and then the stock in the brand called Rush Limbaugh goes up accordingly. So he's just, I think. As soon as as soon as Obama was sworn in, I think Rush just went back, uh, you know, to his file cabinet and just pulled out the, uh, you know, the folder labeled "How to Antagonize an Administration Until They Give You Free Advertising." Well, I think you know a Democratic administration in power is probably good, good, uh, good business uh, for right-wing talkers like Limbaugh, and they do have high ratings. Uh, and really, uh, it did seem to flourish after. Uh, uh, the, uh, the the fairness doctrine was killed. Uh, so the Republicans say there are plenty of viewpoints out there. You can get it on the internet, cable TV, MSNBC, the New York Times. But the Democrats, I think, are getting tired of being beat up on uh, this one corner of the media. Uh, and that is uh, particularly in AM radio. You know, I would think that the Democrats at this point would just be so used to being beaten up that they would have actually just like no survival uh, instinct at all left within them. I think it would. I think really it would have just been pounded out of them by now. Um, on that note, have a fantastic weekend, my friend. We will talk to you, you very too, soon. Rick, thanks. Good there to you talk are. to you, Dick Giuliano, ladies and gentlemen. That's wonderful. Excellent. All right, uh, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. There you go. Um, ah, never mind. Uh, let's see. Hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. How can I uh, help you today, sir or madam, as the case may be? Well, Rick, I, I don't want this to always be uh, all junior drag queen all the time, so I wanted to bring up something I think we've been missing out on. Well, the debate over I'm, Costco, Primark, yeah. where do we hide out with the zombie apocalypse? I'm saying, have we forgotten about Visa this whole time? What's going to happen to Alex and the Visa factory 
When do zombies rise? Well, I don't know. I mean, I have to ask you this. Have you been to the factory, sir? Because I, I have haven't. Not. I need to go to her to get a, you know, a good tactical assessment so I know where to set the machine gun nest. See, because there you go. So, so depending on how the VSO factory... Sarah, you haven't been there yet, have you? No, I haven't. Have you done the tour? No, I want to see it, though. The only person... That, it might look like Willy Wonka. See, and I think factory. in my head it looks like the Slurm factory from that episode of Futurama, but... I haven't been there. The I think Aaron uh, Durant took the uh, took the tour of it, and I just so I don't know if there are huge windows facing the street or if there's some sort of like you can just maybe access it only via skylight, which you know which would be kind of the best way about. It. So I don't know if it's a you know if it's a if it's a place you could even hold uh, you know tactically. Well, I figure a couple of school buses filled with concrete out front, maybe that'd be a good start. The bottom line is I'm buying the stuff by the case on a weekly basis. I can't have my supply stopped just because the dead rise. Well, that's true. I mean, so maybe not, well, let me ask you this. Maybe have you considered this? Maybe the time is to, to create some sort of a subterranean uh, conduit, a pipeline, or maybe just you know, or maybe like the White House has that secret tunnel out of the uh, out of the Oval Office that like you know takes you down by the Potomac or something. You just have a tunnel uh, put from let's say the Viso factory to your basement, sir. Well, I do in fact now have a basement, so perhaps I need to be setting up a distillery down there, uh, minus the slurm worm or whatever that slug thing was called. But oh God, that, that was it was gross. it was pretty horrifying. I'm so tired. <laughs> All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. Well, thanks for entertaining my uh, my zombie viso talk, Rick, and uh, have a wonderful day, you and Sarah both. Thank you, my Thank friend. You. There you go. Wait, wait, model. All right, the one percent joke there. Uh, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seven. Hey, we have some time here. Do you want to bed? Play the little Wayne song. Oh, hey, we could do that. Uh, and then also, now is this? <gasps> now here's the is thing. Is that what I think it is? <laughs> Richie, well, I don't really know. Uh, it, Richie just brought me something. We're going to be interviewing uh, the woman that pitches this, the face bra. Let's see, this is next week. Hold on, here we go. This is the, uh, it, what is her name? Kendra Wolf? Is that her name? I don't. I think so. Yeah, I think the name something. of the, 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 the face bra. Yeah, because I got a million emails from her. Now, where did we where did we come across the, the face bra in the first place? Was it she like a spam? Me about like yeah, about like four or five different emails. I'm trying to find. But it was. But it's like in the inbox right next to the ShamWow thing and the Snuggle thing or the Snuggie or whatever the hell that thing is. Yeah. Uh, see the face bra. Face in, bra. An in-home beauty treatment, Sarah. That's an inexpensive and safe alternative to cosmetic surgery. Sarah, the face bra is an elastic cotton bandage you soak in a mineral solution. You attach it to your head so it wraps around your face. You wear it 45 minutes, three times a week for several weeks, and apparently it draws out the impurities, making it healthy. What it, but I don't understand where the bra part comes in. What is it supposed Wait, to do? Drawing out impurities? Mine was the face bra shrinks chubby cheeks and double chins without suction or cosmetic surgery. See, that, doesn't, that seems made up. That doesn't seem like a thing that's true. Is that from Kendra at the PR group? I don't know. All I have are the bullet points here. So here's what we've got. You've got a, you've got a spam email about the face bra. I've got what purports to be a list of bullet points for the face bra, and then Richie brought in something that just arrived. Did this just come in the mail, or where did we get this? I don't know. He just brought it All in. All right, Richie, come into the studio and don't act gay, please. Not because I care, but because we just don't have time to talk about it. So if you, we're just, I'm not even going to play his theme. Much care. I mean, yeah, I just, if it, I can't get bogged down in Richie's gameness at the moment. Um, so, Richie, please to explain, where did, uh, from where did this come? Where did, what, what is this you've handed me here? Uh, that's the face bra. I, okay, but it's, where did it... Was it in a package? Oh, it came in the mail. I, I asked for him to send me one so that we could... Okay. Send one? And so, this thing you've handed me here, which says, which does not say face bra, by the way, it says, the face wrap. That is the same thing as the face bra? Oh, I don't know. Who was this from? <laughs> the face bra people. I, I swear to God, it's like fighting my way through Jello sometimes just to even get to an answer with you. So, is this from the face bra people? Yes, it is. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. You may That's go. All I know. You can go now. 
Okay. All right, there you go. That's right. All right, so it is the same thing. It's like the double chin rescue plan begins with the face wrap. I swear to God, I'm so glad it's Friday. What? Yeah, the double chin rescue plan. The <laughs> double chin rescue plan. It doesn't. It, it begins yeah. with the face wrap. You have to open it. Right? This seems very. Uh, this seems very different from what they. Okay, here we go. Here's How the. How do you get it? It's all pink and girly. It says the oh, face wrap, Sarah, is a non. This is from the actual packaging of the product. A non-surgical facial sculpting system that will hydrate and tighten your skin. I want my skin to be tighter. To recreate, to recreate a fresher, more youthful you. All right. And uh, so what this is, is this is basically just like some gauze. It's some gauze and what appears to be What's like that? a mineral powder, and then there's just like a water bottle that you that you add to it. There you go. Have fun with that. There you go. That's wonderful. For me? Yeah, I can almost guarantee disappointment with the that product. Wrap mineral. Okay, well, now I have to open it. You have at it. I, uh, sources are pointing oh, to that's not going to work. Yeah. All right. Well, it really is just you know what that a is giant ace bandage. That's exactly what it is. No, that's one of those things that they wrap your foot in, uh, like when you twist it playing softball or something, and then they gotta like you know they put the butterfly uh, pins on it. That's it. Where does this? Go? It's a big elasticy ace bandage uh, that you were supposed to soak in hot water and uh, wrap your foot. It looks it's like all a, over my face. It, exactly. It's a thing that like they they put on burn victims. That's what that looks like. It is a it is an ace that's bandage. Huge. For someone who was caught in a fireworks explosion. Oh, we have to put this on Richie or something. We have to figure out how it works. Uh, you know, uh, I'll, <gasps> oh, let, I'll let you like decide that. Yeah. I'm not wearing that. Okay, but see, doesn't it look... You know what? It, here, for she those does who, look like a burn victim. Or this. For those who, who don't haven't seen this face bra thing that they've been spamming everybody with uh, on the Internet... You know what it looks like? It looks like in the old, uh, the old school cartoons or whatever, where they would depict that a guy had come home from the dentist. With the toothache. Totally, and he's got like the huge brick of bandage on the outside, and then just, you know, he, somebody has just like wrapped gauze around his head in a huge loop over and over and over again. That's exactly what that looks like. And then also there's like bath salts. This is a lot more interesting when you had it and I didn't get to look at it. It was. See <laughs> what I'm saying? That's exactly what it is. A big overture, is little awful. show. That's totally. That's totally what that is. Now I'm so not excited. I was so jealous of you when you got it. And how much does it sell for? What could I expect to pay for that ace bandage and a bag full of salt? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't. See, mine doesn't have that price. I can, right. I can look it up. On you know, this is really one of the advantages of working in radio, so we didn't have to pay for that. We just mentioned it. We, hey, can we get you on the show? And then the thing is, you don't even really have to ask. Whenever you're going to interview uh, somebody about anything, they just send you maybe we can, what, whatever it, what it is. Maybe we can have a contest today and give away the face pro. <sighs> if, you, if you think that's a people, you know, that's a thing that people really want. All right, well, we should take a break here. Uh, we come back. Lisa Hughes will be joining us. Uh, Ketzel Levine, formerly of NPR Portland, will be here later on as well. Scott Daly will talk to Dorothy Carcisseri of the National Enquirer. We'll do the top five Stevie Wonder love songs. And then right here, you know what I got in my hand? I have this. I won't name the company, but this is from, and it's not CBS, by the way. This is from a major American corporation. It is, in fact, the internal memorandum about how to act if someone in your workplace begins shooting everyone. Right here. So, you know, you never know this. I mean, you never know when, you, when you'll need to have this information handy because knowing is half the battle. We'll read this when we come back. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere.
Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into zombies and amusement. It's 503-733-2970. It's uh, Friday. All right, it's time for the big uh, Facebook synchronization. I need to get some sort of a futuristic sound for that, some sort of a world of tomorrow effect, like a... Lisa and I are friends on Facebook. Really? Uh-huh. And maybe this, oh, it could be, uh, it could be this, it could be, maybe like the, um, what is that sound that makes on, uh, uh, on Jeopardy? When they're uncovering all the boxes, and Alex, you know, Alex Trebek says, all right, and for round one, here are our categories. Yeah. And he says, your categories are world history, I spy, five things, European poetry, or whatever, and he's going across, and then, you know, whatever. So I should get that. That should be our Facebook synchronization noise. That or that sound from uh, Tic-Tac-Doe at the end when they would cover up the dragon. Uh, anyway, this says, Rick, it occurred to me in terms of defense from zombies, uh, the bomb shelters inside places like Council Crest, Mount Tabor, and Mountain Park. There's a bomb shelter at Mount Tabor? Where's the bomb shelter at Mount Tabor? In Mount Tabor? Tabor? I'm sorry, what? Wait, there's... I know, I don't... There are all the reservoirs and stuff. I don't know there'd be a bomb shelter. He says there's also one at Mountain Park. No supplies, but only one way in and out. Giant steel doors to lock out the zombie death. I don't know why nobody seems to have thought of this before. Scott, uh, I'll tell you why. Since you asked, uh, Scott, if that is indeed your real name, here's here's why you don't want to use a bomb shelter during the zombie apocalypse. You don't want to use a bomb shelter because a bomb shelter is essentially just a giant basement uh, from which you can't get out. And, of course, only one way in means only one way out. And if the zombies or the undead somehow breach the door, then you are effed because there is no window. There is no ceiling. There is no back door out of that place. So as Max Brooks would tell you... You need more than one entrance and exit, right? Yeah, you never want to hide in the basement. Because if you're in the basement and the zombies come in, like, you are screwed. There's nowhere to go because you would have to fight your way through the zombies... Uh, and it's sort of given that zombies, that it becomes a whole chain, because if a zombie is sort of like doing the brains thing, that that alerts a zombie that's 100 yards away, who alerts another zombie who's 100 yards away, and eventually you could theoretically have this unbroken chain of zombies that is quite literally a 1,000 miles long. So you always, that's his whole thing about you always got to hide upstairs somewhere, because that way you can go out a window. If you have time, you cut a hole in the ceiling, you go out on the roof or something, because zombies can't climb. So uh, bomb shelter, the reason nobody's thought of it, sir, bad idea. Finally, this. Rick, can zombies swim? If oh my God, what is with all the questions about zombies? It's uh, what today's young people are talking about, Sarah. If not, then how about Jansen Beach? It's an island with a full shopping center, many hotels and homes to live comfortably. Uh, I-5 and railroad bridges could be raised on the north side, protecting us from Vancouver zombies. Those are the worst kind, too, because they're always wearing those ill-fitting, like, fat pants. The southern uh, approaches of those bridges could easily be defended by a few armed persons to guard against Oregon-based zombies. Our island fortress also comes with many boats, which would form our Emersonian anti-zombie navy. I love this show. We could gather fresh fish, hunt waterfowl, colonize, and farm other islands of the Columbia River system. John. Here's the only thing about this, John. Uh, Zombies cannot swim, but it is, I think, generally thought to be the case that zombies sink but they, they, they don't, in other words, they don't swim, but they don't drown. They, don't, so they, yeah. they sink and they walk across the bottom of the ocean. They walk across the riverbed, the floor of the, the sea, whatever. And then if there is a gentle sloping incline up to the land, they can just walk out of the sea onto the island. Uh, and then you are hosed like Haiti style. So there you go. So yeah, that's uh, glad I can help. Hello, Lisa Hughes. How are you today? I'm absolutely wonderful. You are indeed yeah. absolutely wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I feel great. Here's the thing. I, I don't know how Sarah feels today because we, we're sort of, 
We got distracted by the obvious gayness of uh, Richie Bristol, our uh, production assistant. So it can be quite distracting. So Richie's crazy kind of took over the show, and Sarah and I didn't get to do our daily "How crazy are you today?" check. But you seem decidedly uncrazy, which is a good antidote to any and all insanity that might be in this room. I took a test once, and it said that I was strangely normal. <laughs> strangely normal. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I would say that you do seem uh, I would I would say that you do seem uh, put together uh, in almost in almost every way you do seem very grounded about everything. So. I do, and then I have my moments every once in a while where I just get pushed to the limits and then wire hangers. Wire exactly. <laughs> before we do anything else, and before we begin the uh, I'll work backward here. We will get to the news hour here in just a few minutes with Lisa Hughes, who has joined us. Uh, is this your second time here? Yeah, third time. So it was joined us once before, and uh, it sounded fantastic. So she's back today. So. Lisa Hughes will begin the news hour here in just a bit. We will also read this before we do that. It is from a major American corporation, and I won't identify. I'll say this. I will say this is from. This is from a major American auto company. We will leave it at that, and I will not identify the person who sent this to me either, because I'm presuming this isn't the sort of thing that you're supposed to be like reading on the air. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is from a major American car company. And this is the – they don't even – they don't actually say what to do when the guy in the next cubicle gets laid off and brings an AK-47 to the office. The subject line of this is, to blank employees in North America, subject, behavioral emergency procedures. So we'll get to that in just one moment. Yes. Before we do anything, it is time for the great Facebook synchronization. All right, everyone is now logged into their Facebook account. Everyone is at their status all right. All right, hang on. I'm going there. All right. Lisa Hughes, do you have a Facebook account? I absolutely do. All right, Lisa Hughes, you should be going to Facebook, and you should be preparing to update your Facebook status now. Okay. The Facebook message, uh, Sarah, are we using the same one as yesterday? No, let's do something different. All right, what shall the Facebook uh, status message be for today? Uh, I don't know, something not about zombies. What do you think, Lisa? Uh, I mean, it was, well, it was, you know, he's currently listening to the Rick Emerson Show, or once everybody listened to the Rick Emerson Show, and then ended with Word. So... How are we phrasing it today? I don't know. I came up with it yesterday. It's your turn. Well, see, I'm just going to go for the... Okay. The uh, Okay. How about this? Uh, blank, you know, your name, mm-hmm. commands you uh, to tune in to the Rick Emerson Show at www.970.am, period. Uh, and then... How about, oh, show gimmicks. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, and then in all caps, commands, exclamation mark. Now, what am I doing? Am I, am I changing my status? You are changing your status right now. What does your status say right now, Lisa Hughes? Uh, let's see here. What is my status? i got to go to my profile to find out. Lisa Hughes is befuddled by her Facebook status. <laughs> Lisa Hughes is frustrated by the slow <laughs> CBS internet connection. <laughs> yeah, it is a little slow. Um, usually it's probably, usually it's something about, you know, I'm going to bed, I'm tired. Lisa Hughes is wondering why she agreed to come back to this program a second time. <laughs> Lisa is running so late for work. Why do I do this to myself? That right. was my last status. Okay, so now you should, uh, Lisa Hughes and all assembled listeners, everyone now is to change their Facebook status to... Lisa is tired this morning. Blank, uh, Lisa, uh, commands you to tune in to the Rick Emerson Show at www.970.am, period. Uh, and then and then in all caps with an exclamation mark, commands! All right, there you go. Excellent. All right, and everyone, update now, and we're done. Fantastic. 
It's 503-733-2970. Uh, so before we begin the news hour, I will, I will read this because this was sent to me last night. And you've got to imagine, by the way, like, don't, let me ask you this. Here's a question. Do you suppose, and I guess I guess I would have seen it by now if it existed, because I am I am uh, theoretically, uh, you know, uh, the man in some small ridiculous capacity here. So I I wonder if CBS has some sort of a policy for when uh, when somebody, and by somebody I mean Matt. Well, they Green. have to for here behind, behind like steel doors. I mean that's, but I mean. There's got to be some plan in place where they just, you know, some guy just decides to go home and come back with a, you know, with a hacksaw. I mean, is, is, right? There has to be some procedure. Have you ever worked, Lisa? I don't know what, what, what kind of work do you do now? Did you be very vague about it? I uh, sell insurance. All right. So, I mean, is there, like, to the best of your knowledge, is there? What would? I'm not saying you work at, a, you know, at a place where everybody's unstable, but I'm just saying theoretically, have you ever thought what you would do if, like, you were some coworker decided to go wacky? I would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> So your plan is to be the nice person trying right. to calm them down. And so like, is that like a one-step right. plan? <laughs> Step one, bleed to death. End. Go well, to I've ten. Well, I've definitely put up a good fight. I grew up with four brothers, so I know how to fight. But you, I like how the, the, in your head, though, you've decided you put up a good fight, but you've also decided the fight would be futile in the end, and you would, in fact, uh, just be killed. Yeah, probably. Well, okay. <laughs> there you go. Would you be the... You know, because I do have to say that you have... You do have, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, but you do have this sort of charming, kind of innocent vibe about you. So when you say that, uh, when you say that you would be dead, though, you'd be dead, but you'd be dead in the way that you would inevitably have some book written about you that they would then sell at a Christian bookstore. Yes. And it would be like, you know, Lisa said, live. A study in heroism. And then it would be, you know, it would be you on the cover in sort of like a soft focus picture with like sort of a, sort of a glow behind you. Like right. A, like a low-grade halo. And then it would, you know... Lisa Hughes was born, blah, 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 blah. Lisa Hughes died, blah, blah, blah. In between, she helped others to live. This is her story. And then there would and be... it would be really interesting. And I, I, but then they would make a movie about it, uh, you know, starring, um, like, Kelly Pickler. Yes. And it, would be on, and it would be on the Hallmark Channel. And then Sarah and I would watch it. Wonderful. All right. So let me read this. This is from a major American car company. The, uh, the person who sent this to me says, Rick, this was sent to me by a friend in Detroit... His brother has, at least for now, a white-collar job at blank, the car company. You just can't make this up. Uh, the memo re uh, reads, Two, blank employees in North America. Subject, behavioral emergency procedures. And by the way, speaking of the uh, pending zombie apocalypse, as we go through this, just ask yourself how many of these can also be used to ward off uh, the walking dead. Safety is one of the highest priorities we have at the blank, blank company. As part of our continuing communications and awareness regarding safety, we will periodically refresh or republish our procedures. The company, it says, in, in creepy capitalization, has a behavioral emergency or workplace violence procedure which notes things we can do to help ensure our own personal safety. Each of us should do pre-planning on steps. Pre-planning. I mean, what is it you're supposed to pre-plan? Let me ask you this, Sarah. So let's say, uh, you know, that uh, somebody here, again, Matt Green, goes crazy and decides <laughs> Who that... Who could blame that guy? My God, the crap he has to put up with. He just decides it's time to take out the trash? I think that he'd spare us. I like to think so, too. Okay, wait. Now. Uh, oh, no, 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 do it. No, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, I mean I'm just thinking. I mean, no, see, because now, here's the thing. If I, if I, if I open the door in this conversation... You know what we're going to do? Then we're going to start making a list of who should be spared and who shouldn't, and that's going to end badly. But or who we think would be spared and who wouldn't. 
And I think you and I would have almost exactly the same list. Uh, yeah. But for that reason, we shouldn't do it because that's going to end up in a deposition at some point. And then there were co-workers who were on the air actually encouraging his death. So, but, but you are you are right about that, that I don't... I would like to think so. I don't believe that I don't believe that Matt would uh, again, would take us down. Then again, I was watching Rob Zombie's Halloween. You know how like there was that one caretaker that was, or the the one person in the hospital that was really nice to um, Michael Myers right. for like 17 years, and then Michael gets out, even though he was the only person that was nice to him, he still ends up killing him. No, well, sometimes that's just how it has to go down, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so let's say that somebody here went bonkers. Let's say it was somebody upstairs, though, just for the sake of our. So it's let's not say like Sarah Wagner. Let's say Sarah Wagner went crazy. Uh, and she went home for lunch, and somewhere between, like, tuna melt and, like, uh, you know, uh, whatever, like, uh, 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 you know, milkshake, she decided that, well, I've had enough of everything. And she goes, and she gets her hunting rifle, and she comes back to the office. So, presumably, we would be here, and we would hear the gunshot upstairs. So, what would you do? I mean, what is your, where do you go from here? I mean, you're you're in the studio. I mean, like, what is your next step? crawl under here. Either that or hide in, in this corner behind the drapes. See, but yeah, the black curtains, they'll yeah, look good. Yeah, totally hide in there. But, but don't, and plus, there's slimming curtains as well, so we'd all look fantastic mm-hmm. as we were cowering. Or there's like a, or there's a spot right here between the walls. See, but but here's the, but we have multiple exits here. Like, wouldn't you just go for the door? Screw that. Well, I just, what if, yeah, what if like she's roaming the halls and we can't get out of the room? Yeah, but don't you think that the screams of our coworkers would let us know where in the building she was? Maybe. I mean, that, right? I mean, sound carries pretty well in this building. So oh, I would say, and plus also, like, we're directly underneath that floor. Like, it's only a two-story building. So we're down here. There's another floor above us. I think we'd be able to hear where she was, right. Sarah Wagner, as she's walking through the office killing people. I think that we would probably be able to, to tell where she was located. Now, so, but what if it was somebody down here? See, down here it's trickier because you've only got, like, the two hallways. And so you've got like, basically, like, a 50-50 chance. Right. <laughs> and plus, it's not so much a hallway as it is, like, a donut. I mean, it's a donut with a bunch of studios in the middle. So the hallway is effectively a big square. Uh, it's like a square habit trail. And it, 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 so, I mean, it, it's like it's like in Pac-Man. I mean, like, if the ghost just reverses uh, their movement at the last moment, you're still going to be, I mean, you're going to be hosed. Right. So I'm saying, for me, if it's downstairs... I'm probably going towards that door over there that goes to the back parking lot. Uh, because then in a worst-case scenario, you could probably double back and go back up this way. Okay, everybody, by the way, should be assessing what you would do at your own workplace. Um, it says the company has a behavioral emergency or workplace violence procedure which notes things we can do to help ensure our own personal safety. Each of us should do pre-planning on steps we should take if confronted with a behavioral emergency, whether here or outside of work. Listed below are some steps which we as individuals should consider if faced with a behavioral emergency. Be prepared. Be aware. Be safe. By the way, I'm going to blow this up and I'm going to post it all around the office uh, so that we can all, uh, you know, so that we can all make the appropriate assessments about what to do to ensure our own survival. One, pre-plan your safe place. Which sounds like a thing your shrink tells you for when dad comes to visit you late at night. Oh you know, I want you to just go inside to a special You're safe place you. where no one can touch you. Uh, mentally, anyway. Know where they are prior to an emergency. Sarah, a safe place is any space where you can hide. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with our country that the officers are now giving you memos on where you can hide? That's kind of creepy. Where you can hide to protect yourself from immediate danger, such as a conference room, work cube. Yes, cubicles are wonderful for hiding. What with all their doors and ceilings and walls that go all the way to the top. Or under furniture. 
There's no hiding under furniture. What furniture can you hide There's underneath? There's no hiding under furniture. What are you going to hide underneath a lazy boy? No, no, no. Let me hide underneath this swivel office chair that I'm sitting in. Uh, two, seek protection in the nearest safe place, preferably a lockable safe place in your work area. There's nothing. I don't think there's anywhere here we can lock. I think the unisex bathroom is it. That's about it. Uh, let's I see. I think Richie's room might lock. No, nah, it doesn't. Richie's room doesn't lock. And, in fact, there is no door handle on the inside. So if that door in Richie's office shuts, mm -hmm. there is no way to get that door. You, you literally have to put your finger into the little hole where the door handle used to be and, like, go, ah! and pull it. And you got to do it real slowly because it's a metal hole, and the edges will actually kind of cut your finger. So you got to be careful there. Lovely. Three, follow directions given uh, during any lockdown procedure. Remember, do not gather in large groups. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That's just counterintuitive. Is that because the shooter, Sarah Wagner, could get all of you at once then? And they got to have some. And like there have to be there have to be people left over to do next month's billing. Uh, <laughs> listen, attempt to remain calm and quiet. Well, that's going to be a losing battle. Lock doors and windows. Close blinds. Turn off lights. Keep in mind, by the way, this is an actual real memo that I am reading to you from a major American car maker. Mm -hmm. Get on the floor, preferably on. Get on the floor. Shake your thing. Uh, preferably under office equipment. Stay low and out of sight. Set cell phones to vibrate. <laughs> Are you kidding? Set, I, I swear to God, it says set cell phones to vibrate. You don't want to be like John McClane in Die Hard 2. Stay in place until released by law enforcement officials. Uh, let's see. Contact local security. Report only vital information. Indicate the number of suspects and victims. Provide a description of the suspect. Her name is Sarah Wagner. Provide your name and telephone number where you can be reached. Provide your location, the number of people with you. But, you know, you won't be able to hear your phone because it's on vibration. Uh, and then it says, uh, if you want more information, a behavioral emergency lockdown video on how to respond to a procedural emergency while work is located at. And then it signed the HR person at this company. Okay, so I didn't realize this. There is a video for this. Okay, we need to be getting our hands on that video. Seriously, uh, I'm not going to identify the guy who sent this, but if you're listening, you know who you are, and I'll email you tonight. I need to have a copy of the Behavioral Emergency Lockdown video on how to respond to a behavioral emergency, which is code for a guy at your office going nuts and shooting everyone. That is fantastic. Excellent. All right. Let's uh, begin some news, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, it's Lisa Hughes. Well, at the now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Hello, Lisa Hughes. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. Here is the news. Okay, so now this is new to me. I had not heard this before. Uh, it's titled Nail Gun Death in Lover's Row. Is this a Darwin watch? Excellent. Here's yes. your Darwin watch. The yes. bad stuff is about to go down. All right, so Dave... Oh, 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 hold on. We'll let this... I don't want to step on the Homer Simpson here. We'll let this roll. Don't let me use scissors. It's all worth it for the uh, for the Barney payoff at the end. Oh, my heart just stopped. Ah, there it goes. Excellent. There you go. There's uh, here's your Darwin watch with Lisa Hughes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this guy Damon Ross Sturdy, 39 years old, is thought to have been trying to give his fiance a fright when fate when he uh, fatally shot himself three times in the chest with a nail gun. <laughs> Well done. Yeah, he did not realize how badly he would hurt himself. <laughs> uh, 
The New Plymouth uh, coroner's Timothy Scott said yesterday after a three-hour inquest, he concluded that he could find no evidence that Mr. Sterney intended to commit suicide. I don't think he meant the wounds to be fatal. So... <laughs> Yeah, earlier the inquest was told that Mr. Sterney had been arguing with his fiancée, Sarah, last August. After being locked out of the house, he returned in the morning and shot himself with a nail gun. Three nails went into his chest, pounding into his heart. Yeah, pretty sad. And he was also alive and conscious for nearly a half an hour before the ambulance arrived. So he suffered. So let's, you know, but stupidity ought to be painful. That's the thing. I mean, really, if if stupidity hurt, think about how much better this world would run. The thing about, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and somebody, they were talking about this octomom in uh, in California Uh uh, who just... Boy, boy, goddamn, that pregnancy photo of her is one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Have you seen that, Lisa? No, what she, is this? She looks like she's about to give birth to a colony of beetles. I mean, like, it's just the worst thing ever. It's the it's the uh, the, the wombzilla woman. Oh, yes, I did see her, but I, I saw the babies afterwards. I didn't yeah. actually see her Look at that. Yeah. That is uh, gross. It ain't right. It's so gross. So, uh, but I was talking about this about this woman and how she's clearly, she's clearly mental. And it, like her thing of having the 14 kids... That is obviously some uh, reproductive version of the people who have compulsive plastic surgery. Right. You know, you're about the people that get you know a little nip and then a tuck and then a thing and then a fold and a staple and a suck and a pound and a turn and a twist and yeah. And so that's that's this. And this guy was saying like, oh, she's so dumb. He said it's too bad stupidity isn't painful. And I said, well, it it is. The problem is stupidity is just never painful to the right people. It's only painful to the rest of us. Right. So that's like this guy though. So. What is the point he is trying to prove with the nail gun when he does this? Like, why? I don't get it. From what is his deal? Like, what? What? What was he trying to illustrate by doing this? You know, I, I'm not really sure. It doesn't say. It just says that I think maybe he was trying to make a point to his girlfriend, <laughs> so to speak. So, so she would feel sorry. Maybe like, oh, I tried to commit suicide. And, you know, you know how people do that with nail guns. Yeah, with nail guns. And also. I mean, it's been a long time to use a nail gun, but it's, I mean, what is the deal with him being able to get three nails into his heart? I mean, I thought that a nail gun, like a nail gun's not like a, I mean, it's not like an automatic rifle or something. It seems like, don't you have to pull the trigger once each time? Who here has used a nail gun recently? Anyone? No. Mm-mm. No, I got nothing. Nail guns scare me. Uh, no, because they're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about, nail guns are great for the same reason that, that they are terrifying, uh, because it's, you know, a nail gun. So... The fact that he was able to get three into his heart indicates that either the nail gun had been modified somehow or was defective, or maybe he just did a quick, like, da-da-da, and it didn't uh, register uh, right away or whatever. And maybe he had some really big, long, strong nails. Well, that's the other thing, right? Like, does you know, unclear if he was intending to injure himself severely when, in fact, nail guns. I mean, nails are meant to go into wood and, in some some cases, concrete, not, you know, skin. Right. So maybe he bled to death. It doesn't say. I'm guessing that it was a combination of... Like, uh, didn't he, like, puncture his heart? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did. He I, did. He punctured his heart. I think it might be some confluence of blood loss and then just his body taking its own life out of shame. Yes. Sort of a, let's try to be smarter on the next turn of the karmic wheel. Right. And uh, maybe he saw the white light and decided, you know, that looks so much better. <laughs> <laughs> or, that's great. Well, there you go. There's your uh, Darwin watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson Show. Another one Excellent. Here's Lisa Hughes with the news. Okay, so now this is the Corpse Watch. Really? We have a Darwin Watch and a Corpse Watch yeah, back to back? It's yeah. the best day ever. Here's your Corpse Watch on the uh, Rick Emerson Show. 
crazy but i'm i'm sensing that this story is fantastic and here's how i know because as the uh as the corpse watch uh open was playing just now i looked over and lisa was in fact covering her mouth with her hand <laughs> as though you were trying to keep uh, last night's dinner down right well you know it reminds me of a story um we'll, we'll get to that later um okay so a religious leader pleaded no contest Thursday to charges that he stashed a rotting corpse for two months in a follower's bathroom. Uh, Alan Bushy was charged last year with hiding a corpse, causing mental harm to a child and theft. I don't know, I guess theft of the body? Investigators said the body of a 90-year-old member of his religious group was concealed at another group member's home in a scheme to collect the dead woman's social security check. Oh, this is what case are like you don't want to like you don't want to let the man know that she died because then they they quit sending the money. Right, and this is a preacher. Yeah, it, well, it's see that part doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is that he couldn't come up with something better than just sticking it in the bathroom somewhere. Right. I mean, that's not even. I mean. Unless you've got substantial air conditioning into that bathroom, that's not a that's not a plan that's, that's going to last. Early. Yeah, it's pretty that, gross. That's going to be found out like the first time you get a good heat wave uh, in that neighborhood. Mm. It looks like he's going to face up to ten years in prison and twenty five thousand dollars in fines. Uh, you know, I mean, ten years in prison, twenty five thousand dollars in fines. I don't think I think he should get more than that. There should be more penalty to that. Maybe he should get the nail gun punishment. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, look, uh, three nails to the aorta. That's. I mean, yeah. Maybe that should be it. I mean, maybe it should be. Uh, you know, or maybe we should give people. It's sort of like that rule doll, that man from the south story. We should give people a choice. Like, look, uh, it's like in casino when they say you can keep the money, but you got to take the hammer to your hand. Right. Maybe you do something like this, and it's like, look, we can either give you ten years, uh, or you can. Um, you can snip off two of your fingers with garden shears on television. Uh, which would you prefer? Yeah. You know, and then and then you know then it's then it's entertainment for everybody else as well. So this story really reminds me, and, and I heard this, gosh, like maybe six months ago or so, that um, this gentleman had lost his wife, and he was so distraught about it that he kept her in his home on a bed, um, dressed in a dress. Every morning he would talk to her. She was in the house for six months. Okay, rotting and smelling, and then to top. Welcome to the to lunch top, hour. Top, and to top it all off, uh, there was also other things that he was doing because, <laughs> yeah, he missed his wife, which <laughs> made it completely <laughs> disgusting. It was the most disgusting story I'd ever, I'd ever heard. Oh, now see. Oh. You shouldn't say things like that because then that's a challenge. When you say that's the most disgusting story, you, you're you going to have to read the eyeball story. Yeah, you have yeah. no idea what's in this pile of stories over here, sister. You got nothing. You read like this horrible pile every day. Well, that's like I mean, well, here's okay. Here's let me just end this with just the creepiest story uh, ever. I mean, I mean that story is like, I mean, I mean that story with the guy like keeping his 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 wife's body around. I mean that's. I mean, it's disgusting and whatever, but you can also say well, like maybe he went a little nuts. Like yes. maybe she died, he went kind of crazy. Right. And, you know, you went you went wacky or whatever. Um, growing up, there was a family, and I didn't know them that well. Uh, I sort of, they were like friends of my parents, you know, sort of like, but not even really that. They were like acquaintances of acquaintances. Okay. Anyway, so I was only ever at their house like once when I was a little kid. I was about, I don't know, maybe eight or nine, just old enough to register how wrong this was. But they had had a, um, a daughter who, I don't know, was maybe, uh, 10 or 11 and had, 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 had died somehow. Their daughter had, had passed away very young. And they were just, you know, and they, you know, obviously it's traumatic and whatever. But like their whole thing was, 
they had a doll made, like not from her, but like of her. They had a perfect replica of the daughter, but like miniaturized and made into a doll that they then just kept around like in the living room, like sitting in a chair. So you go over like, hey, we're going to go see the Jones family. And you walk in and like sitting in the living room in a rocking chair is like this little China doll replica of like their dead daughter. Which is like the creepiest thing. Wow. I mean, and I, you know, whatever, to, to each their own. But I mean, that's a, and even, you know, even as a kid, like you don't really fathom death and it doesn't really, you know, resonate with you the same way when you're a kid. But even as a little kid, that's a thing that'll keep you awake for two, three, four nights. I mean, that becomes like that poltergeist clown thing all over again. That's, that's just no good Did at all. Did they keep her room intact and then like every night put her to bed? And, oh, God. You know, I mean... <laughs> and then, and then speak to her and answer back in her voice. Right. Yeah, I don't know. But now I'll think about that. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. All right, we'll take a break. After uh, Come back with Lisa Desjardins and more with Lisa Hughes after this. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Stay there. the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. In just a moment, we will be rejoined by Lisa Hughes at the news desk. In mere moments, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Coming up later on, uh, Steve Kastenbaum will give us uh, the latest on the awful uh, plane crash that happened back east. Uh, Scott Daly joining us later on, formerly of NPR Portland. Ketzel Levine will be here, and we'll be counting down the top five uh, love songs by Stevie Wonder. Top five Stevie Wonder. Love song. Ladies and gentlemen, from the hills, CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Hey. I'm sorry, what? Hello, hi. Hi. Hello, and how are you? I'm sorry, your Hello. phone is sounding a little wobbly on your end. Can... How's it? Is it better? Yes, it is. Okay, hey. Hey, how's your hi. Friday going? Hey, good. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Yes. Is there something going on uh, with you this week? Is, there, is your week... Um, uh, please forgive uh, the, the bluntness of this question. Either personally or professionally, has your week gone all wonky somehow? Yeah, you can tell, huh? Yes, yes, I can. I so has, has it been a bad experience for you? I've managed to. Uh, I've no, managed no, no. To, okay. I've managed to break through the shell you've put up around around yourself, Lisa, and I've been able to peer deep within your soul, and I see that things have, are just a bit wobbly on your end. It seems it it has been a bit moment to moment, especially today. But this, it, honestly, about 15 minutes ago, was sort of the first time. Maybe since uh, I don't know, in 14 hours, that I really was like, okay, it's all right, I'm good. So now, if I, I mean, it's, <laughs> but apparently it, it does, it, it doesn't. You can't. I'm just saying, and you know, please feel free to tell me if it's none of my business. But I mean, I just, oh. it's just very curious if it's just like why, if it's just the events of recent times and the economy and the politics and the hey hey and the whatnot uh, or whatever. Just uh, and I don't mean in a bad way. It's just uh, I know that normally it's very. You my know, um, it's my fear of death. No, no, it's it's actually it it really is just. I wish it was something as. Um, profound, but it, it is it is mostly it is a little fear of death, but it is mostly uh, the stimulus bill because I I at once uh, you know kind of love it and hate it, and I actually I actually did uh, I stayed up all night reading it because I 
and I just love this kind of stuff. So in addition to being... So I'm a little wired. I haven't been sleeping really, and it's, yeah, it's, that's why. So in addition to being manic and uh, and a little OCD about this, you're also sleep-deprived. Right. So that adds... Yes. And as Henry Rollins once said, you know, sleep deprivation makes everything really neat. <laughs> you know? Sleep deprivation is sort of a... Sleep deprivation is sort of an interesting spice to one's... to the meal of one's daily life. So, no, and the only reason I know things can be a little bit frantic on your end in, in the calmest of times, but it seems to have been amped up a little bit. Uh, a little bit, oh, so yeah. I don't wish to contribute to that with my wackiness. No, and it actually is really good. I do feel like this is kind of like a little I can, you know, sit down for a moment. You... I'm on your show. It's nice. Well, thank you. Well, I like to be. The Rick Emerson Show does pride itself on being an oasis of calm and an otherwise hurly burly <laughs> existence. That's hey, how I feel. Hey, how about that? Uh, how about that Judd Gregg uh, thing? I was talking to Yuliano about that earlier, but it's still it's just fascinating the idea that. That Obama says, like, hey, uh, how do you want to, you know, feel, feel being the Commerce Secretary, and you, even though you're a Republican, and they'll be broaching, you know, crossing the aisle and bringing people together, and are you with me? And Judd Gregg says, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely with you, and then gets, like, however far into the process, and then says, oh, no, I'm not with you. I'm leaving. Goodbye. In a couple of weeks, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, how about that? He, Judd Gregg, the minute that he, the announcement came that he, it was going to be him as Commerce Choice Number 2, I immediately sort of wondered how this was going to work out because he is a firebrand here. He is fiercely independent. He's very proud of being from New Hampshire, very proud of going his own way, uh, but he's also very conservative. And, you know, I just he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy uh, that falls in line, like the, the good political soldier. He's used to being a governor or a senator and being, you know, the guy that gives the orders. You know, not, not necessarily a mean way, but he's not used to taking the orders. Right. And I think... That, in the end, is what made him reconsider. He realized, oh, so if I disagree with the president, <laughs> he wins. <laughs> that was, you know what, that your delivery right there? <laughs> and, I'm, and this is, uh, you know, this is, really a, uh, 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 this is really a compliment of the highest order. You were, that was worthy of John Stewart right there, the way you just unrolled. <laughs> have, you been, have, have you done that before? Have you been practicing and polishing that delivery? I'm happy to say no. Maybe I need to be more. I'd be more hilarious if I was more sleep deprived. Except if you were, if you were no, if you were John Stewart, here's how you'd be doing. The, you'd be, uh, you kind of hunch your shoulders together, you lean in, and you kind of do that thing of holding a pen that's right, that's vertically right. between your fingers, and then you kind of go, uh, let me just, uh, and then you kind of tap it nervously on the desk, uh, like Letterman. And you go, so he wins. Oh. And then and then he, and then you like you feign making a note for yourself and then the audience laughs and that's right yes yes All right, well, well John, done one of the rare opportunities I can mention that uh, John Stewart went to my alma mater of William and Mary really yes and he makes he makes fun of it heartily I have to say uh, well, I loved it I love William and Mary I have to find one one other thing here so yeah it says and I'm kind of trying to find a way to, to the phrase to put this together okay because every single day. This has turned out not to be true, but the CNN prep sheet swears. They swear. This is like Lucy pulling the football away with the stimulus uh, plan. Wherever they're like, no, no, no. Today, it, the final, no, it's really, in fact, I think the, the front page of our, the Oregonian today says something like, stimulus plan, the, the plan done, finished, finally, at last, right. sealed. But I just sort of instinctively disbelieve all of that at this point. Uh, so uh, please now to tell me, Lisa Desjardins, is that in fact uh, true? Is the actual final vote today done, finished? Here you go. The yeas are 246. The nays are 183. Of course, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, they just took that vote uh, maybe an hour ago. And the, the Senate, believe it or not, is supposed to vote tonight. But I, I can't remember, did we talk yesterday about how uh, the Senate vote hinges on uh, a senator whose mother has died and he has to come back from her wake? 
in order for this bill to be passed? I guess that's a no. No, I just... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just reading this email that come that came in that said a few years ago, Judd, uh, the Judd Greg won $834,000 in Powerball a few years ago. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I do remember that now. Hey, finally, uh, before we go yeah. here, uh, I'm only asking... I don't be- vote tonight. Uh, uh, so it is tonight. So it is happening. It's tonight. The House has voted. They passed it. Final vote tonight. Uh, and before we go here, I'm only asking, because this was sent to us, uh, we had a listener send us uh, an internal uh, memo from what we would call a major American automaker. And it is uh, the subject line is behavioral emergency procedures, and apparently it is, it's a whole like four or five point plan about what to do in case one of your coworkers goes nuts and decides that the time of purification <laughs> has arrived. So my question to you is, does CNN have any sort of a plan that has been bullet pointed and distributed to all of its employees about what to do on the day that like Ed McCarthy finally just loses it? <laughs> he just loses it. No, we don't have that plan. I have have yet to see the plan. I'm telling you this right now. Here's how you can get yourself in with management. You ought to be the one to create that plan, Jerry Maguire style, like at the Kinkos, and then you take it in and you and you you know and you uh, and and you give it to uh, you know you you give it to your supervisor. You say, here you go, done and done. Well, this actually, you know, a couple weeks ago, and I I know you got to go, but a couple weeks ago, all of the radio correspondents for CNN, we all got together on a phone call. No managers, and we just kind of said, "Hey guys, what what do we want? To, what do we think we want in the newsroom? What do we want to happen?" And we came up with this whole big list of suggestions. And you know, the, the Ed McCarthy's and Dick Giuliano's were very skeptical. They're like, "Our bosses don't want this. You know, we're not sure." And uh, it ended up be somewhere in between. I think our bosses were kind of like, "A lot of suggestions about other people, <laughs> not so much about." Maybe what you should be doing. Oh, I'm just saying. This is a very valid point. Is that Rick Emerson is always yeah, there to help we're, you? We're try- yeah, we're definitely trying to, uh, you know, be, you know, do goodies, I guess, in the corporate world. To be do goodies. You <laughs> should put that on your business card. Oh, no. All right. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Get some sleep, for the love of God. Yeah, sometime tonight. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, bye now. Well, it's like a rainbow that's losing its color. I think something is wrong with Lisa Desjardins. I know. I think she's just had a rough week. I, I hope People so. People have off weeks. It's like the fourth day in a row she sounds a little nutty. I mean, you know, I love Lisa and all, but I mean, that, this, is, that is something not right in Denmark. Hello, Lisa Hughes. Hello. All right. Uh, you, of course, uh, sound, uh, sound peppy and charming and delightful. I am. All right. Let us continue with the news, ladies and gentlemen. This is Lisa Hughes, the news desk. Okay, well, this is a story that... Pretty much everybody has heard, and uh, I think my dad is actually getting sick of hearing about it. But it, it is a sad story. It's the plane crash that happened in upstate New York, which killed 50 people. Um, the cause of the disaster is under investigation. They believe that there was buildup of ice on the wings. But the one thing that I found interesting, and I don't know if they mentioned this in the news, that among the 44 passengers killed, there was a woman on the plane whose husband died uh, in the World Trade Center attacks of September 11th of 2001. And we're going to, and Steve Kastenbaum is going to join us in about a half an hour, 35 minutes or something, talk about this. And I, so he'll have some more, more details on it. Um, but uh, it, as I understand it, was that the plane, is that they don't know why yet, which is always, that's kind of the freaky. That I is, hate those when they don't know why. That's and the, then also you, when they do know why, when there's like a big flock of birds that flies in, it's like, so it's that easy. That's the thing. It's like right. sometimes, you know, sometimes the not knowing is just terrible. And then, I mean, obviously it's horrible anyway, but I mean, the, you know, people who are thinking about the next time they have to fly. You know, then you then they say, well, it turns out it was, you know, it was a pigeon, you know, and then you just freak out about that. 
But the crash happened, and then it went to hit a house or something, right? Like yeah, it, it was like a in house. a residential neighborhood. Yeah, and there were, uh, I believe, like three people in the house. One of them died. Two of them survived. You know, and I don't mean to be, I mean, overly uh, morbid about this, but I mean, it's, it's an awful story to begin with. But it, stuff like that, you know, and it just it just weirds you out, just the randomness of it. And that's the kind of the thing I say every time something like this happens. There was that guy, oh, about four months ago, mm-hmm. some guy was flying a, a jet plane in San Diego, and the plane just quit working for some, like he couldn't figure out why, and the pilot ejected, and the plane, like, hit some house. Uh, you know, the family, you know, as everybody was home and whatever. And, uh, you know, his family's watching TV. Bam, Jet hits the house. And you just can't, I mean, it's just... just like Donnie Darko. It, totally. Right. It's just so random. And I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just saying there's, like, nothing you can do. Seth MacFarlane, who, of course, is the guy behind Family Guy, the creator uh, and, and sort of showrunner for Family Guy, he told just the most fascinating story, which is which is true. And it's one of those stories that he himself said he can't think about the story too often because otherwise he would said he would just have to drink himself like silly every night. Um, where he... Did you just awe? Yeah. I don't think anybody has ever done that before on this show and meant it. Well done. You've broken new ground, Lisa. Um, the, normally when Sarah and I do that, it's sort of a... Uh, and then the puppy was found. Wait, let me find it. Found. There we go. Um, but Seth MacFarlane tells a story about how he was. I mean, the, the bottom line is he was supposed to be on one of the supposed to be on one of the planes that hit hit the World Trade Center. Uh, that hit the first uh, tower, I think. He was supposed to be on that plane, and there was this whole thing where for a while, like they didn't know that he wasn't on it, and so his family was all freaking out because they thought he was on the plane. Blah blah blah. But 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 the, like the the creepy part about it, I mean, above and beyond like all of the the other you know the, just the known creepiness is that the only reason Seth MacFarlane wasn't on the plane is because, like, he overslept. So he overslept, didn't hear his alarm clock, wakes up, like, 30 minutes late, gets to the airport, and he said when he got to the airport, he's like, I'm Seth MacFarlane, I'm supposed to be on that plane there that will hit the World Trade Center. And the woman's like, no, I'm sorry, you're too late, they sealed it. And I guess he argued with her for the longest time. He said, don't you know who I am? Come on! I demand that you put me on the plane. And so he fought to get on the plane, and then, she, and then, but she wouldn't let him on the plane. She's like, I'm sorry, we've already sealed the plane. Like, you're going to have to take the next one, jackass. Not only that, though, but then here's the creepy part. And this, he said, this is the part he can't even think about. That because he was late, they gave his seat to someone else. Oh. And he, and I saw him interview. He was talking about this on like Dinner for Five, I think he was talking about this. And somebody, I think like Rob Zombie or whoever the other, it was like, you know, Dinner for Five, so they get a bunch of people from the entertainment industry and they all have dinner and they talk right. and it was somebody it was like rob zombie or roger corman or whoever else was on the show somebody just said like well do you know like who the person is and mcfarland uh who i think was actually drinking at this point in the conversation actually said he goes no because then i he goes then you just have to drink even more <laughs> and he like drinks the scotch wow. so i mean you know that's like i said it's just the weird it's like that whole opening sequence of magnolia where they're just talking about the coincidences that, that, that run your life. I mean, you really are just the tiniest cog and just a whole huge uh, stopwatch in this, in this entire joint. So you know, and when a plane actually flies into a house or crashes, I say into a home, that's actually covered under your home insurance your home insurance policy. Is it? Yep. Now, see, I thought that that would be a force majeure. I thought that would be an unforeseen act of God. Nope. When a plane crashes into your home, that is covered by insurance. Now, why is that? Now, let me ask you this, Lisa huh. Hughes. Now, is that covered? Let me. All things being equal, are things like tornadoes covered? Um. I mean, it's like a you know, like a natural event, like a, a ice slide or mud mud river thing or. Whatever it is I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? No, like mudslides are not. But I don't know about tornadoes just because we don't have tornadoes here, and so I really haven't dealt with that. No, I'm not trying to hold you accountable for the insurance industry, but why would a mudslide be covered 
or not be covered, but a plane hitting your house would be covered. That just seems odd. Because how likely is a plane going to hit your house? Oh, I see. So is yeah. it? So the, the odds. So they're thinking the statistical likelihood is such that they'll never have to pay it off, so they can afford to. This yeah. makes insurance. No offense. This makes insurance companies sound like such weasels. Oh, they're evil. Let's uh, <laughs> only cover the things that we don't think will ever happen. <laughs> Uh, but uh, all these things that are likely to occur, let's not cover them. But okay, it is we'll call great this... to have it when you have a complete loss in a fire in your home. <laughs> and we'll call this the comprehensive plan. The thing I keep talking about is, you know what? Uh, I am a big advocate of, uh, for insurance, especially I keep talking about renter's insurance. Like, that's a thing people got to have. Absolutely. Renters do you is... have renter's insurance? I do. I do, too. You can't not have rent. You don't have renter's insurance. You uh, Because it's dirt cheap. You want to yep. talk about, if I can just pimp for the insurance uh, industry for a moment. You want to talk about a return on investment. Insurance, uh, renter's insurance is, I mean, it's just like, it is pennies a day, as Sally Struthers used to say. But you don't have that, uh, and then, like, the, your the, your roof caves in or something at home, and then yeah. suddenly your, uh, you know, your rare collection of opera records and your collection of incurable diseases is right. uh, lost. Yeah, you're going to just be kicking yourself the rest of your life for that. So, Absolutely. Uh, you ought to have that, kids. Uh, let's see who this is. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. How can I help you? Rick. You. Hey, about 25 years ago, we had an airliner go down in southeast Portland, up around 130th uh, Stark and Burnside here. It was really creepy. I think somebody mentioned that to me. Was it a commercial airliner or like a military? Yeah, as I recall, it was an Alaskan airliner. I went out and saw it, and there was, you know, the Alaska logo on the tail. Oh, my God. You saw it? Oh, yeah. It was creepy. Uh, Middle of the night, the full moon, though, lighting it up, made it look extra creepy. Ugh. Wow. One more thing. Yes. Closest Starbucks is in Boston, directly across the street from each other, single lane road, 30 feet top. <laughs> well, that's so that's like in Starbucks where he talks about the ones at the Pioneer Courthouse Square or that are like, a, you know, like 300 feet or something. All right. Thank you, sir. Later. All right, have a good weekend. All right. Hello, Lisa Hughes. Hello. Right, here's some more news with Lisa Hughes on the news desk. Oh, this is depressing. You know the economy is bad when um, you hear about 1,600 people apply for one meter reader job. A meter reader job? A meter reader oh, job. Oh, not meter made, but like they no, actually come like, into your house and check in your power. Well, no, they actually go around and they check the meters, like the water meters that are in the ground, you know, the little right. concrete square thing they pick up when they read that meter. Um, it's happened in Tacoma, Washington. 1,600 people applied for a single job. Um, as a Tacoma water meter reader. Now, this position actually pays 17.76 an hour with full benefits and tops out at 49,000 a year. Well, it's, just, it's totally. I mean, not that not that 50 grand a year is anything to sneeze at, but I mean, that's the uh, it's the benefits there that really. I mean, that's I think what people must be looking for when they go through and they yeah. rank jobs. I think probably. I would say if you were to canvas uh, the whole country, probably everybody right now, you know, like in Windows, you can click to sort by, like sort by date, sort by size, sort by sender. I think if you could sort by what I'm looking for in this in this gig, uh, the, the benefits are going to be all to people. By the way, it's in Tacoma, Washington. This was in Tacoma, Washington, yeah. And you know probably X number of those people don't live in Tacoma. They live, you know, maybe in Seattle or they live in like... You know what? Like uh, they live in like Bellevue or something. Olympia. I mean, normally the only time sixteen hundred people uh, will line up for anything in Tacoma is if there's a new exciting kind of crack that's come out. Right. You know. Right. And then yeah. it's like at dawn. You know, putting on their Sunday best. I gotta get me some crack. You know. And it's right. like, but uh, <laughs> imagine, Jesus, imagine they're applying for a job of a meter reader in Tacoma. Which, by the way, here's another reason why that job sucks. It's not just Tacoma. It's that you are actually walking around, going door to door to one house or apartment or dwelling to another in Tacoma, and you know those are not all, like, 
It's not going to be in the fashionable, like ritzy part of uh, of Tacoma. Right. You know, it might be in some of the lower, uh, some of the lower scale levels in in the fine uh, in the fine city. And then you get the coupled north. with the rain. Jesus. You know, but sixteen hundred people yeah. for one job. That that tells you the economy is. Well, we heard there was some story we had uh, earlier in the week. There was like a Kia. Uh, Factory, and they don't even make cars. It was like they—it's like a plant that makes parts for Kia cars. Mm-hmm. So like they make like sprockets or whatever, like gears. And this woman from CNN was talking to us, and she said that there were like 700 people or something that just showed up at the job. Some of them from other states, and they all showed up at the crack of dawn. Many of them like in full-on suits and ties, just to fill out an application. Like it wasn't even an interview. Yes. It was just to that fill out ridiculous. the application. So, and, and they were pushing and shoving, and they, you know, it was just like at the Monroeville Mall. They were yeah. just demanding to get inside. By the way, here's my prediction: that you will, within six months, I was talking to David Walker about this yesterday. If he, I don't be surprised if it takes this long. Within six months, you will start to hear stories or read stories about predatory companies that appear that will offer to quote submit your job to employers who are hiring now for fifty five dollars. Mm-hmm. It'll be like those old, it'll be like those companies, like in about nineteen ninety nine. That for like 40 bucks, we're promising to put your results at the top of search engine, you know, like, you know, so when somebody would search under like, you know, whatever, like cars, like your company would come back first. That was a huge scam. Right. I will guarantee you right now, it's probably already happening that there are companies that say like, look, for $69.99, we will submit your name to companies that are hiring for jobs in your area, which of course just means that the company will just... You know, it'll just be the company that goes and just, like, drops off an application with your name on it. And, right. like, you will get nothing. You'll just be out 70 bucks. Right. So that those businesses always seem to appear wherever, like, bad times are. By the way, you were listening to KCMD Portland. Do we have anything that's not relentlessly depressing? <laughs> yes. Um, well, now, this is kind of interesting. I don't think this is depressing, but... Um, Uh-oh. This isn't going to end with somebody's skull being made into a bong or something, <laughs> no, is it? No, 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 no. Uh, 13-year-old dad doesn't even have pocket money. A 13-year-old boy has become a father and insists he will be a good parent. Alfie Patton's girlfriend, Chantel, 15 years old. His name is Alfie? Have you seen the picture of this guy? No, I have not. Who has sex with a boy named Alfie? Oh, Alfie. Maybe if we can look it up, what he looks like. Oh, that's creepy. Isn't that wrong? And he was 12 when he got her pregnant. By the way, the you girls, can, I found a picture of both of them together, and she's like 15, and he's 13, and yeah. You can see this. Uh, is that in the Sun? Yeah. You can see this picture in the Sun, by the way, which is uh, England's finest newspaper. That is the uh, the Sun. So he is 13. He was 12 when she got pregnant. How old is she? She's 15. All right, and of course they're keeping the baby. They're keeping the baby. Because why not? Um, he looks young for his age. He's only four feet tall. He looks young for his age of 13. <laughs> yeah, and he lives with his dad. Uh, well, all right. Well, there you go. I'm just saying for me, I was talking to somebody, I was talking to Lisa Wood about this the other day, and we agreed on the, we agreed on a mandated sterilization. I mean, that's like, here's the thing. I'm saying we'll do it two ways. Either Either we just put something in the water. Uh, that just sterilizes you, and then it's like you've got to prove that you need the antidote. You know what I mean? Right. Like, just put something in the water. It makes, uh, it makes it so you can't get anybody pregnant. And when you turn, like, 18 or whatever, you decide you want to have kids, fine. You know what? You come and you take it. You, you take a test that's, like, 50 pages long. Right. You, you, and it's going to be the longest, hardest test you have ever taken in your life. And once you pass that, then you will get the antidote, and you will be allowed to, uh, you know, to be impregnated or to impregnate. You know, if you fail the test, I'm sorry. No children for you. Go get a cat. Right. Jesus. I know. It's sad. Lisa Hughes, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so uh, 
This is kind of interesting, and, and I can relate to this because I will, my son will be playing video games, and I'll tell him, hey, you know, I need you to do this for me just really quick. And he's got to be on there for five, ten minutes. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Right. Yeah, no, do it now. Put it on pause. Okay. That's, well, that's weird how you put on the mom voice right yeah. there. No, I'm, I raised my son very strictly. Do you do the full uh, first name, middle name, last name thing? Uh, no. You don't go like, John Michael Hughes! Yeah, you no. Know, whatever. Because <laughs> right. that's, that's like the nuclear weapon. That right. is the scorched earth. No, but I pretty much beat the crap out of him as a child, and I was a really strict mother. So and you... to this day, that child has never raised his voice at me, <laughs> and he's still a mama's boy. He will lay his head on on me like when we're watching a movie. So no and... woman will ever be good enough for him. Absolutely not. He's got a lot <laughs> You've to broken him. Too. I do have to say, and I apologize for however weird this may sound, that really there's any number of guys in the audience to find this unbelievably hot right now. The idea is just like, just like, and I broke his spirit almost immediately. He doesn't even look me in the eye. He just looks at the floor and shuffles and weeps silently to himself in his room. But he puts his head on my shoulder because he knows that mommy loves him. And any number of guys that go, that sounds fantastic. I just didn't put up with any crap. Actually, good for Okay, you. so uh, this Britain man is under arrest, accused of holding his family hostage and threatening to burn their house down, police said. This Edgar, uh, and the last name I won't pronounce, is 46 years old, was arrested Sunday. He became angry after his son didn't pause his Nintendo Wii game Fast enough when the father asked him to deal with the family's barking dogs. The man's wife told the police. That's what the mom said. Uh, he grabbed the Wii, smashed it, threw it out the front door. Then uh, they say he um, used a billy club type weapon to keep the family members inside, refusing to let them leave the house. He was charged with disorderly conduct, second degree uh, criminal mischief, second degree threatening, third degree assault, two counts of second degree unlawful restraint and risk of injury to a minor. So those video games. What are really video games causing all the anger? Like playing Wii Ike Turner. Right. Did you say he burned the house down at some point or was threatening to? He was threatening to burn the house down. Or sort of like, After he smashed the Wii and threw it out the door. Is that like when your dad is like, I'll turn this car around and take it back? But it wasn't that. It was like, I will incinerate this house and you will die of smoke inhalation and Absolutely. your bones will be all that's left. Right. If you don't take care of those dogs right now. <laughs> Jesus. The, there is like a whole... Yeah, I'm going to take a break here after this, and we'll, we'll come back with more. There is a, the whole phenomenon of, like, video game rage. Uh, Nick Hornby talks about music rage, uh, which is like when you're talking to your friend, and your friend goes, Pink Floyd sucks, and you're just going to, like, okay, I have to leave the room. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise you know there's going to be a beating. Right. Um, but, uh, but video game rage is the same, and it is typically a boy thing, not even a guy thing, but it's typically a boy thing where boys become very sort of goal-oriented in the game. And plus... Video game time, it's sort of like Einstein's theory of relativity in action, where video game time just happens. It takes place so much faster than normal uh, world time. You know what I mean? Right. You know, like school takes 50 or 60 hours to get through every day. Right. Whereas, like, you know, you're allotted 90 minutes uh, for playing Call of Duty or something, and it goes by in about four and a half seconds. Right. And then your mom is on the other... Because I used to do this. I mean, I don't know. And Sarah probably wasn't this way. But I was this way. My mom would be, you know, like telling me to get off get off that Atari. and. Right. You know, but meanwhile, I'm just like, I just got to finish this. And it, the thing is now, I hate to sound like an old guy, kids now have no excuse because you can save your progress wherever you are. You can just right. say what you're doing. They went, look, I didn't have that, you kids. When I was playing Space Invaders, there was no, there was no pausing. There was no saving. I remember when I was a boy. Thank you. I would oftentimes go into my room and I would be playing Mega Mania or Combat. With a glass of cool lemonade. With a with a glass of cool lemonade as the sun set. And an onion on your belt. And 
And I would occasionally be near the end of that game, and my mother would come and say, It's time to go a-milking. And I would resist, saying, But, Mother, I'm having so much fun. And she would say, There'll be time for that tomorrow. And I'll say, But my friends will all be disappointed if I don't get this high score tonight because I was bragging about it. And she would say, If they need a high score to be impressed, son, they're not really your friends. Okay, we've got a break. (laughs) Okay. Back after this, the Rick Emerson Show. Why, hello, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. Thank you for joining us today. It's 503-733-2970. So much to do, so little time. Uh, We're here with uh, Lisa Hughes. Uh, Coming up later on, we'll talk to Ketzel Levine, who's uh, formerly correspondent for NPR uh, News, as she will be joining us in the studio later on. Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.com. We'll do the top five Stevie Wonder love songs. Uh, of all time, and we have to do uh, today's our final Happy Valentine's Day or not uh, breakup story. Let's see what else do we have. I haven't done the uh, we haven't done the Facebook uh, the, the status poetry thing yet. Uh, we've got the phone calls and so forth, and then I get and then I get things like this, and we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum in a moment who has some um, details on that on that plane crash that happened. But then I get these emails. Uh, Rick, how are sprinkles made? I call the spr- not sprinkler but sprinkle, which is like the uh... wait. Hold on now. When he says sprinkles. Is he talking about... Uh, you mean like cupcake sprinkles? Okay, but hold on a minute. Just let's stop for a second. This is, uh, see, this is the sort of thing that this show lives for. When I say sprinkles, Sarah, what do you think of? Describe to me what you're seeing. I think little multicolored, like, elongated sprinkle things that you put in cupcakes. Okay, now are you talking about sprinkles that... Uh, forget the only way I can think of is that they're, they're shaped ba- like tiny miniature pasta? Yes. Okay, you're not thinking of, like, the crystalline, which is like a colored salt. Mm-mm. Okay, because that's... See, I thought of the same thing you thought of, which is, again, they're, they're like cylindrical almost. Mm-hmm. They're like tiny elbow spaghetti uh, or elbow macaroni almost, but they're colored. But then, okay, but then there's also sprinkles, which, again, is, is like, it's almost like a salt, but it's usually like red or a green or something, and it's kind of sugary, right? Or I guess colored sugar is the best way to put it. So that, it seems like that is probably just colored sugar. Yes. Okay. But how do they make sprinkles? He says, I call, okay, now listen to this. I called a sprinkle company, and they wouldn't tell me. I just want to know how they get their shape. The company spokesman said they don't use a mold of any kind. If you can ask the audience, I would appreciate it. It's driving me crazy. Best show ever, Ben. I do like the idea that he called the sprinkle company and they, quote, wouldn't tell him. All right. Well, Ben, we'll, uh, we'll look into it. I'm sorry. I would have more of a response, but I think my string cheese is moldy. Is it, does it have mold on no, it? No, it doesn't have mold on it, but it tastes like it. Oh, yuck. That is like the worst taste. Have you ever eaten accidentally like, eaten like taking a bite of bread and you realize that? Oh yeah, no, I've eaten all kinds of molded things by it's accident. It's that taste, and it's, it doesn't look. It doesn't look, but has it just gone? Well, the cheese doesn't really go bad. No, though. I just bought it today, and why would cheese have mold on it? Well, like, and cheese, yeah, but it, I don't see anything, but it tastes exactly like it. That's weird, and because cheese doesn't go bad, yeah. uh, unless the milk they used. Well, see, that's the thing. Does cheese like? I was gonna say unless the milk goes bad, but the milk is bad. It's curdled milk. I don't know. Well. I'd be for throwing that away and not leaving it out. Cause if you Will leave you try it? it? No. What do I try it? Would you taste like mold? What do you mean it tastes like mold? What is the taste exactly? It tastes like that horrible powdery, yeah. you know, gross. Oh, no. Taste. I totally know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ate a piece of bread one time. But uh, it doesn't make any sense because there's nothing on it. It's like I just bought this this morning. 
But the, the, the string cheese, was the package sealed? Mm-hmm. No, I just opened it right and now. Th- now, is it more of a taste or is it like a feeling? In other words... No, it's a taste. It, it's still in my mouth. It's not a texture, but it is actually a taste. It's sort of a sort of a I bitter... Know, like, this tastes kind of wrong. Yeah, no, it's like that horrible, kind of like cloudy, like dusty taste. Ah, see, and I told... Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Cloudy isn't a flavor, but I totally know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. When you say, no, 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 it tastes all cloudy and dusty, I absolutely know what you mean, even though I couldn't really put it into words. Like, I couldn't describe it. Like, I couldn't say with a with a hint of pineapple, but I totally know what you're talking about. All right. Well, in any event... Uh, well, so, Ben, we'll... Uh, We'll look into it because I don't really know how they make sprinkles. My guess would be this. Who refuses to say how they make something? Well, because it will not tell you. Well, because here's why. The reason, I mean, okay, I thought that same thing. I thought, why would the sprinkle company? And it's weird to think that there's a guy out there somewhere who's like his whole family fortune is in the sprinkle business. I mean, it was just a weird, but I guess that's like a, I don't know if it's a growth industry, but you got to figure that the sprinkle business never goes down. Yeah. Like you, like it is people make cakes and cupcakes and donuts and whatnot every single. Those got to come from shops. somewhere, exactly. And it's not like you can download sprinkles off the internet. You know what I mean? They're like, no, 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 I'm gonna go to the Pirate Bay and get a sprinkle torrent. I mean, there's no, like, you got to go to the store and you got to buy it, right? You get. And here's the other thing about it: the reason the sprinkle industry is stable. That's really where people ought to be getting jobs right now. The Rick Emerson Show, we are investing heavily in the sprinkle fund uh, mm-hmm. right now, which sounds like a porn film of some kind. But it because. I wouldn't know how to make these at home if my life depended on it. And he called the company, and clearly the company knows that people don't know how to make them because they wouldn't tell him, which means that that you can't easily duplicate it, so it is a stable company to be with. Right. All right. Well, now I'm fascinated by it. Well, somebody will know the answer. Uh, we will talk to Steve Casterman from CNN Radio here in a few. We'll get some phone calls. Uh, Richie, can you do me a favor and uh, screen some of the calls as they uh, as they come in today? I hate to. Uh, I don't want to tax you. You don't want to put a matter in. I know that most of your energy is uh, going going toward concealing your obvious gayness uh, today, but that's okay. I just, I'm just. If you have any processor power left over, could you screen calls with it? Uh, hello, hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. How can I help you? Hello, is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Oh, hey. Hey. Uh, this is Troy. Hello, uh, Troy. I'm up in Alaska. Like I haven't been able to listen to your show for a couple days, and. Uh, uh, I downloaded from iTunes, mm-hmm. and finally uh, they got it fixed. But uh, I was just calling to share. You guys are always talking about, you know, your little crazy tendencies and everything. Well, uh, I've kind of built mine off your show. How do you mean? So, well, first of all, let's back up. Okay. Why are you in Alaska? Oh, I live here. <laughs> oh, so you, when you say you've been there for two days, I mean, did you just move there? Or? No, no, I've been here for like. Like a couple years. I used to live in Portland. Oh, I see. But you haven't been able to listen. Yeah, there was a snafu. Uh, our friend Thomas got all crazy when I said that iTunes deleted the podcast. It's not that, but there was a, there was a little bit of a glitch. And so, yeah, you couldn't get our show on iTunes. But so you've been able to sort of catch up. So you listen to the show uh, in Alaska. Here's a dumb question: Where in Alaska are you at? First of all, I'm in Juneau. And so, capital. is there? I mean, what what is the? I mean, are there? I don't know if sound like you're savages, but I mean, what is the radio like there? Because it's a very, I mean, it's isolated. Is Juno the place you have to fly into because there's no roads? Yes. So are there radio stations there? Yes, there's a, there's a, a couple. It's funny that you ask. I kind of volunteer there, you know, every once in a while. But it's just public radio mostly and uh, other, you know, rock stations and stuff that I don't really All right. listen to. Well, <laughs> well, we're glad we can provide the, you know, little ray of uh, aural sunshine into your Alaskan existence, sir. Well, thank you. What do you mean you've built your crazy off the crazy on this show? Well, I, I have a pretty mundane job, and your show really allows me to get through the day. Well, because, you know, I kind of have an active mind while I'm sitting here at work. What, doing, what kind of work do you do? Uh, insurance. Okay. 
And so Lisa Hughes, actually, who is uh, at the news desk today, she is actually in the insurance game as well. So. Insurance as well. All right. So, uh, all right. And so, so the, you were there, and you you work in the insurance company, and uh, you're listening to the show. That's right. And yeah, then, so it, uh, it really, it's just really mundane and boring. So it kind of keeps my mind active while I just kind of, you know, do the automatic stuff. But I've been ever since, uh, you know, I picked up an iPhone and they let you download your podcast through uh, through iTunes there. And so that your show kind of gets me through the day, and then all of a sudden your show disappeared, and I became very cranky. <laughs> And very angry toward all my all my coworkers. I've actually I've got one of them uh, has started to listen actually themselves, and uh, and so yeah, I'm very happy you're back. <laughs> so this is wait. So this is sort of a a thing where we are sort of like a psychotropic uh, medication of some kind that was balancing you out and keeping you normal. But exactly. then you know what it is. Here's what this is like. This is like uh, when you misjudge how many pills are left in the bottle, and then you realize, oh, oh my God, I got to get the prescription refilled. But because you wait to get the, pre- I mean, this is all theoretical. I wouldn't know anything about this. But then because you waited too long to get your prescription refilled, there's a couple days where your prescription runs out and the new bottle isn't in yet, and then you're just bonkers, and everyone around you uh, suggests that you go home and not leave the house again until you're back to normal. Theoretically. Oh yeah. All right. And I'm and I'm a little behind on on the show still, but I was I was sitting there or when when I didn't have your show, I was composing this huge letter to you guys. I was furious, <laughs> but I thought maybe I should sit on my ang- on my strongly worded letter before I. Uh, how were you? How was your crankiness manifesting itself at work? Uh, oh. did, did did others believe that you were uh, that you were simply unpleasant to be around, or they didn't obviously probably didn't think you were actually uh, dangerous? Were they avoiding you? Were they commenting on this? Were they oh, whispering yes, about they you were, in the halls? Well, I'm usually a very cheery person, and uh, and so once I didn't have this show i just kind of shut down and just not interacting with anyone not talking with anyone just sitting alone staring into the middle distance making yeah. a humming noise sitting alone staring at my computer wishing i could at least check the rick emerson blog but it's blocked on my on, on our computers here yes well it's horrible i uh, well i'm glad that things are back to normal sir it sounds as though you're uh, it sounds as though you're barely holding it together under the best of circumstances so <laughs> yeah. you know i don't want to exacerbate that in any way so I'm, I'm glad that things have been fixed hey his final question would you say that i mean in, in Alaska, because it is uh, such an isolated, like Juneau, such an isolated place, and it is you know very. You hear a lot about the frontier uh, sensibility there because it's so kind of removed. Would you say that there is? Um, I mean, does it kind of make you bonkers after a while being in a town that's cut off from everything? Does everybody there? Does it kind of get sort of crazy? Oh yeah, especially during the winter time. I mean, it's like it's dark all the time right now. It's absolutely freezing. I mean, it's it's not so bad today. It's pretty sunny, but uh, the past couple weeks have been hell. It's like all slush all over the place. You guys have talking about your snowgasm. I live in snowgasm. <laughs> do you have to? Uh, do you have to do that thing where does your car? Do the thing where you have to plug it in to keep the block from cracking? No, it's not that cold here. Uh, that's up in Fairbanks. Right. That's the ungodly country. Uh, don't even mess around with that place. But uh, here it's it's pretty. It's relatively tame compared to other places in Alaska. All right, excellent. Well, I'm glad we're getting you through it. So thank you for listening. Spread yeah. the word. How many people live in Juneau? About thirty-two thousand. All right. Well, please, uh, please to let them know that they should all be listening, sir. Oh yes, sir. All right. If we can, I'll tell you this right now. If I can get a thousand people uh, in in Juno to begin to become listeners, I will go there. I'll go there and <laughs> visit your town. We'll have an honorary party for I'm you. I'm telling you right now. No, I'm giving you. I'm laying it out. If I can get, if we can get a thousand people in Juno to start listening to the show, 
Uh, I can't speak for Sarah, but if I can get a thousand people in Juno, start listening to the show. I have a friend who lives in Juno. I'll completely go. I will completely go, and I'll just and we'll we'll hang out there. That's awesome. All right, thank you. I'll get to work on that. Thank you, sir. No problem. Ah, There you go. There's that guy. All right, fantastic. All right, so oh, I'm sorry, Richie. I just hung up on whoever that was. Hello, Lisa Hughes. How are you today? I'm fine. All right. How would you feel your uh, experience is going on this program right now on a classic one to ten scale? Eleven. Uh, see, you know, and here's the thing: it doesn't. It, I don't even care if you're lying. It's just, it just warms my heart to hear you say it. I love it. I'd love to. I'd love to be here every day. Oh well, I uh, the, 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 the for donuts with sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I think I said this last time you were here, but it, it, I mean. We get all kinds of people who who uh, come to the show and who sit in that chair, right. and th- thank God that they are all sort of uh, different. No, nobody's exactly like everybody else, but everybody does have their, you know, the, I would say maybe their personality, their defining trait, or maybe the thing that the, the facet of them that shines the brightest. And I think you you just have this relentless optimism. I don't know if it's like feigned, or if it actually is sort of coming from within you. But it's, I have to say, it's not that it's bad. It's just sort of, it's just sort of strange. Uh, <laughs> It's not like we're like the, the most chipper of people in this room most of the time. Normally, I mean, look, you've seen the kind of stories that we pick out for you to read. It's just nothing right. but corpses and penises and beheadings and nail guns. <laughs> so, um, hello, hi, you're on the uh, Rick Emerson Show. So it's a delight. I'm just saying it's a delightful flavor to add to the mix. How can I help you, uh, sir or madam, is the case maybe? Somebody needs to beat that optimism right out of her. Um, the uh, sprinkles. That by hold on a second. That's see, that's what I'm talking. That's typically the tone that we have on this program. Right, so right. just so you know what we're sort of contrasting. That's oh, why I the guy a little in, more harsh. <laughs> I think that he'd like that. That's okay. the uh, and that's what the guy in Alaska, <laughs> you know, is having trying to work through as well. That's why we help everybody. Uh, oh, all right, don't, how, don't, don't get me started with that guy from Alaska. I was scared. Um, we, well, somebody's acting a little confrontational for a guy who just called up uh, five seconds ago. I'm sorry. All right, uh, let's try uh, to modulate our tone, sir. How can I help you? Sprinkles. They they are more than likely made much like pasta is, uh, where they extrude it, they squirt the uh, uh, they squirt the candied mix out a bunch of like a screen with a whole bunch of holes, mm-hmm. and then they have like a little whirling blade that spins around and whacks them into the short little chunks, little logs that they are. I guess, but that, but then why would they all be of relatively consistent size in well, terms of length? Well, because they're squirting them out at a certain amount of pressure, a certain speed, and then this little blade is is whipping around at you know however many hundreds. Oh, RPM oh, I see, I see. So in other words, it's not that like they're extruding a thing that's like a hundred feet long, and then the blade whirls it into little pieces. You're saying the blade is cutting it as it is being extruded. Exactly. Oh, interesting. And, and it may even be a matter of, of doing it at a at a high enough pressure or speed or temperature that it it virtually hardens. Uh, by the time it then gets cut off and falls the uh, you know six inches down into the tray, it, it, it could just harden that. So it's like a, it's like a sort of instant magic shell kind of a thing, coupled with like a uh, like a, an automatic knife that's kind of a like a Play-Doh pumper, you know. All right. Okay. Interesting. All right. Thank you, sir. Yep. All right. There you go. See that call ended well. Mm-hmm. Common courtesy is all we ask. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey. Hey, uh, that guy was right. I saw it on the Food Network. Has that how foods made thing? Right. They did sprinkles. Now, was this uh, was this the Food Network or is this the one on the Discovery Channel, the How It's Made? Because that's on the no, Discovery it, Channel. It was, it was on the Food Network. Interesting. Okay, and so the, you, so it's it's like an extruding and cutting thing. Yeah, there it's uh, it's basically a sugar water mix, and it goes through an extruder. Extruder. Uh, it actually they don't there's there's not a blade that cuts off because if you look at a sprinkle, it's round on each end. Mm-hmm. It's actually because it like works out a little bit and it falls off onto a conveyor. It's a extruder's like eight feet wide. It does about five thousand every minute. And so is the guy right when he says that it extrudes and then the substance hardens almost immediately? 
Yeah, it's still soft when it's going through the extruder, but by the time it falls, it goes through, uh, uh, when it's falling down onto the conveyor, there's fans blowing cold air onto it. Interesting. All right. Okay. It goes to the conveyor, and then it's uh, kind of a clearish, whitish color, and they put in these big, uh, looks like huge industrial dryers, and then they just throw in food coloring and stuff on them. Mm. Totally. Okay, that makes sense, too, because uh, I was watching how it's made, or and in fact, it might have been the how food is made thing, and they were talking about uh, it wasn't M&M's, but it was like, it was something, it was like Skittles or something, and it was the same thing. Skittles. I saw that one, too. Yeah, and then they go in there, and it's like a big rock polisher tumbler, except it's with candy, and they, it's the weirdest thing where they show, you never really think about this, how when the Skittles are made... You know, they're, they're green, but they're dull. It's like a dull thing, and then they yeah. got to get polished. They polish and gloss. There's a machine that glosses and polishes the candies before yeah. they're put in the package, I which is my fascinating. I when I was younger. Yeah, I never had. See, I was one of one of those, and then they never, they never, uh, I was never able to get one. So, excellent. I got one on my uh, work bench. I'll bring you it. Uh, they don't work for the helping. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Hey, no uh, you know where they used to sell a rock tumbler, Sarah? Well, sell is, is a broad term. But you know where you used to be able to get a rock tumbler? Hmm. Let me ask you this, Sarah Dillon, Lisa Hughes. Um, uh, so we're all, I mean, not the same age, but we're all kind of within shouting distance of one another age way, uh, age-wise. Did you guys ever do the thing, and I suspect not, because I think this is a boy thing, uh, because as so often happens on the show recently, uh, you know, it's like I'm, I'm sort of outnumbered in the chromosome department here, So you know, which is good, because I get to see sort of how the other half lives. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably a guy thing and a thing that boys do. Did either of you ever, and I'm not talking about like for your school, did you ever do the thing, though, where like it's out of like the back of a comic book typically, which is why it's a guy thing, where like you go, like you, like you go uh, sell a bunch of crap that your neighbors don't want to them, and then like if you like sell five boxes of crap, you know, get like a radio. Sell 40 boxes of crap. Get a model airplane. Sell 100 boxes of crap. Get a rock tumbler. Do you know what I'm talking about here? I do. I do remember that. And they, it was always I was always Girl Scout cookies, but that's about it. See, this is, and this is sort of different. This is not Girl Scout cookies because it's not. How do I put this? There's like somewhere like your school. Like they used to do, like we used to have to do this at Catholic school, which was retarded because we were already play, paying tuition. My parents were already paying out the ass for me to go to the school. Right. And then they would have to, and by the way, you must now go sell chocolate bars. It is a wholly demeaning activity which will ruin you and scar you. Go now, Catholic boy. <laughs> and then I would go door to door like, hi, I'm a pathetic Catholic. Will you buy some chocolate? No, thanks. And then I would go back to school, and then they would laugh. And there was always this bastard whose name was Mike, by the way. Not a theoretical bastard, an actual bastard. Um, and Mike, who I hate to this day, Mike would just do this thing. Can we please have a moratorium on this? When I am president, here's something you're not going to be allowed to do when Rick Emerson is president. And I apologize for the aggression amping up suddenly, but seriously, for the love of God, can we have just a, a ban on parents selling their kids candy for them? Yeah. Seriously, if your kid's going to sell the candy, mm-hmm. your kid's got to sell the candy. If you're going to do it, why don't you go put on a goddamn uniform like and become a Girl Scout? Seriously, stop yeah, that. Yeah, that seems like cheating. St- it, it is, is complete. It's not. Doesn't seem like cheating, <laughs> Sarah. It is cheating. You know, and as Dan right now... My mom made my ass walk around, you know, and if I was going to get a prize for selling Girl Scout cookies, I had to sell them myself. Exactly. And, you know, as Dan Rydell once said, there are rules to stop that. You know what they're called? They're called rules. And the rule is you don't have your parents go sell your crap for you. I mean, it's like do it or don't do it. You know, you don't have your mom. To, because it was this guy, Mike, and, of course, in Kennewick, everything was based on the nuclear industry oh. uh, at the the area, they called it, which is the Hanford nuclear plant. And so, you know, they did like half the town worked out there. And so if you had a dad 
that worked at the Hanford nuclear plant, you just send your crap off right. to dad. Dad goes to the Hanford plant. Suddenly, you know, he was a supervisor. And when you're a supervisor, everybody feels like they got to buy your kid's garbage because you don't want to irritate the boss. So, mm. hey, hey, my kid's selling some overpriced crap. Do you want it? Uh, Sure. You know, and then it's like everybody's having to, to, to buy it. And then the kid comes back to school and, hey, I'm victorious. And meanwhile, everybody's just wishing that he would get cancer. So what did he win? I, I don't, you know, I, I, that's the thing is, I don't even remember. It seemed like it, we were winning something pointless. Like, right. whatever you won was not even really worth it. And he was just alienating all of the kids who went to school with him. So to this day, I can remember exactly what that bastard looked like. Yeah. I mean, I can conjure up. That's a thing where it's like I press the button in my head and, shoom, like the ID picture comes up. Uh, you know, like on CNN when they put up the picture of, right. like, Christiana Manpour. So, um, real quickly, and then and we got to wrap this up and we'll take a break. So they used to do this thing, though, in the back of comic books. Where it wasn't an organization like the Girl Scouts or or the like World's Greatest Chocolate or whatever that company was, uh, where it, where they had like, in other words, those are sort of those are well known and established legitimate organizations. And when I say legitimate, I mean there's you know everybody sort of accepts them. You know everybody they're traditional. They're part of you know they're part of the fabric, part of the culture. This was always just some joint that would advertise in the back of a comic book, and they would have a whole page of stuff. That like guys were really into, boys were into, like a, like you know a fishing pole or something, or like a ham radio set, or I remember the one thing they sold, they sold it's and they advertised it like a Dick Tracy radio, it's like a wrist radio, and of course I that's the thing I got, and it was like the size of a dinner plate, right. and it was it was basically like a huge radio that they just stapled a strap to, you know, put it around your wrist, impress your friends, it impresses no one, and it gives you uh, like uh, and it gives you like rotator cuff injuries, but you would fill out a little form. You, know, you clip out the little thing for the comic book, you fill out a form, you send it in. And then they would just send you like a pile of really uh, bad Christmas cards. And the deal was you would then go door to door and irritate your neighbors. And you would try to browbeat them into buying Christmas cards. And if you sold X packages, you would then send them the sales receipts and the money. And they would then send you this, this like crap that you wanted. There was, you know, and it was like at a fair, you know, at a carnival or something. Where, you know, you're paying like $75 in baseball throws to knock over some milk cartons to win a thing that costs $1.99. Right. That's how it was with this. And so you would like sell all these Christmas cards and then you would like send the stuff in and then they would like send you this, then send you this thing in, like, in the mail. And it was always something that when it arrived, it was so completely disappointing. It was not unlike when you would send away for sea monkeys because you thought it was like a family with a hat and a car and a castle and a scepter and a throne. And really, it's just brine shrimp. It's right. just brine shrimp that are minuscule and transparent and really can't be seen by anybody. That's that's kind of it. So there you go. How did we get onto this discussion? I don't yeah, know. No. <laughs> I do remember those in the back of the comic books, and I always just thought they were pointless. I didn't want any of the... See, <laughs> it's totally a boy thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. they're talking about Skittles, candy, sprinkles, rock tumbler. Rock Tumblr. Good for you. Thank you, Sarah. Um, that's like clicking back on the browser. Uh, but, yeah, so the Rock Tumblr was the thing. But you had to sell, like, just a massive amount of, like, you basically had to sell gift cards to everybody in the Western Hemisphere uh, to get the Rock Tumblr. And so I never did. So the Rock Tumblr, to, even now, as, like, a 35-year-old man, because I'm you know, stupid, it, it's a thing that I look at with this sort of, it has this aura of magic and uh, and majesty about it because it's a thing I just coveted for the longest time. Last thing, here's the final thing I coveted. That, like, I don't even know what it is. It's like a big tube of goo, and you squeeze it into a water tank, and, like, magical uh, stalagmites or something you know, grow out of it. It's like multicolored rocks that grow, and, which probably doesn't work either. It's like that dipping bird. That thing never works. All right. Lisa Hughes, um, it has been a pleasure having you in. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. We would love to have you back again at some point. Definitely. All right. Uh, while you're here. Oh, and, and your brother wanted to hear something. 
Oh, yeah. My my brother said that the most funniest thing, um, he said, ask ask Rick about, uh, tell him to play the I Barely Knew Her. This is my brother, John. Uh, your brother, John. Okay, so. Uh, I can't think of an er. Rock Tumbler. I Barely Knew Her. There you go. Bam and bam. Right. Okay. Right. Thank okay. you so much. Lisa Hughes, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Back after this, Ketzel Levine, uh, formerly of NPR, will be joining us here in the studio. Later on, we'll be counting down the top five Stevie Wonder love songs of all time. Scott Daly will be here from Bill Beaver Radio, and we'll have our final Happy Valentine's Day or Not breakup story. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Say the F word. Seriously. <laughs> Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 503 733 Shades of Lacey Turner. All right. Seriously, where is Lacey? Uh, I think Lacey is in the room with us wearing, like, another set of clothes and a mask. It's 503-733-2970, and that, uh, that, the headphone volume is right down there at the, uh, where it plugs in right there at the... Uh, We'll let you deafen yourself there, Ketzel Levine. All right, just one moment here. We'll be joined by uh, Ketzel Levine, who is the, the rampant profanity that comes out of her mouth, notwithstanding. Was the mic open? I, no. No. <laughs> no, 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 but my ears were, and I have to say that that is endearing. Because, okay, we'll, just, we'll go ahead. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Ketzel Levine. Hi there. Bada bing. <laughs> All right, I was going to find some sort of like a sophisticated cello music or something to bring you on with, like some sort of a, and now welcome to another exciting installment of Ketzel Levine. But that's uh, not what public radio sounds like. Well, I'm speaking too quickly for it to be public radio. If it was public radio, I have to say. Can I, can I quote? <laughs> so Ketzel just said before we turn on the mics. Man, you talk so effing fast. <laughs> uh, it's true. It's one of our endearing traits, Ketzel. Um, I know. I feel so spastic now. It's really nerve-wracking. Well, usually we sort of think before we speak in public radio. <laughs> Listen to that with the passive slap right out of the gate. You know, Rick Emerson, uh, public radio, uh, we like to do some things. I'm sorry that, you know, here we don't... Uh, I know that it public. We're not paid to think. <laughs> I know at NPR you have, you know, thoughts and you know facts and well-reasoned arguments for things. And we and we actually try to stay neutral on subjects. How's that? But that's but see that's just silly. So I I don't even put up a facade oh, of that. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not even going to pretend to be objective about things here because everyone we would talk know. We're talking about that... things like Britney Spears and um, penis. And that's a, that I'm would sorry, be. A... You weren't warned about that, were you? Oh, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I like penises, and I don't like Britney Spears. There you have it. <laughs> this is already a fantastic segment, okay, and I mean that story. sincerely. I need to find a new story about a penis right now. All right. Well, so we'll, so we'll back up here. Uh, well, I saw a comedian on HBO last night, but I, I had never seen her before, so I cannot come up with her name. But she's very, very, very rude, and she really likes to talk about penises, and she loves gay men, and she... Margaret Show. No, no, oh, no, no, but okay. she did mention Lisa Margaret Lampanelli. Yes. Lisa. I'd never heard of her. Was it Lisa Lampanelli? Yeah. That yeah. was actually my first guess until you said the gay men thing, and I thought Margaret Who Show. Who is she? Lisa Lampanelli is, um, she's, well, she's a comedian, and then she also does a lot of, um, she does a lot of kind of ghostwriting, and sort of she's a, she's a joke doctor for people like sometimes you see award shows. She's sort of like a Bruce Valanche, yeah. uh, you know, but... 
I mean, she could be. I mean, if you take a good long look at her, she could be Bruce Valanche, frankly, for all well, I know. At I, first, I thought that she was in drag. Um, the, well done, Lisa Lampanelli. Well, her outfit was so preposterous. I mean, yeah. you know, she was obviously playing it up, yeah. but she was hilarious. She's uh, she's funny. She is uh, she's pretty relentlessly vile too, which which she works is, for me. But she's you know all she's multi-denominational vile. Yes. And, you know, so everybody got it. Although she was a little soft on the Jews, I think she wasn't quite sure how to negotiate that one. But she gave it to everybody. By the way, uh, I would I would have to say that. Really? Oh, never mind. Never mind. There's like so many observations I was going to make about comedy and, and Lisa Lampanelli and whatever. But um, Now you're thinking before you speak, so by the end of this segment, you won't be able to get a word out, right? No, I just... I know, it's nerve-wracking. <laughs> it's like when I tried to retrain myself to bowl correctly, and then I just couldn't bowl anymore. I'm like, okay. I'm just, <laughs> just to go let you know. I have a, a somewhat elliptical uh, style of thinking and speaking occasionally, so I'm attempting to corral my thoughts so they don't run as a riot all over the studio. So we should back up for just one moment here. Uh, so as they say in the comic strip, The Phantom, for those who came in late. So we, uh, like everybody else, been, uh, you know, as, as I said a long time ago, it's no longer, it's not a theoretical uh, recession. As Howard Beale once said, uh, I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. And, of course, here it affected us as well. Our, uh, our news director, uh, Tim Riley, was, um, his position was eliminated. So it's, you know, it's not just other companies. It's not just other media companies. It's, it's CBS. It's the station. It's the show. So what, do you not have news anymore? Well, you know, we only kind of had news uh, before. Let's just, let's be honest. Um, but we've been trying to, you know, talk to and profile, you know, some, some other folks in Portland media that, that have been, you know, let go or laid off or, or whatever. Because it's, you know, it's print and television and what. And. Casting sort of as wide in that as possible, and it was right around the same time that somebody sent me an email and they said, "Hey, you ought to talk to Ketzel Levine." Mm. And, and they said, you know, the NPR was just, you know, the, yeah. the position was eliminated. Sixty-five people were laid off uh, from NPR simultaneously. That one day. Yes, as a matter of fact, it was really very Machiavellian because what they did was that they. Do I have to tell you about Machiavellian? <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. It's just that I really haven't spent a lot of time on commercial radio and AM, certainly not AM. And, you know, I think I think one of the things I need to tell you is that do any of you know how young this guy is? I mean, are you just expecting me to be like twanging a banjo over here? I don't know what about none of the, the thinking that you do over there. Yeah. Ketzel? No, seriously, no. Um, what they did, and I haven't told this to many people, but I'm happy to give it to you, is that um it was sort of an 8 o'clock in the morning choreography where they had managers in L.A., Portland, Chicago, I believe, New York, and San Francisco, and, and on standby in D.C., so that all of them at the same time gave those people the news that they were ripped. It's like synchronizing oh their watches. So, exactly. To avoid there being an excessive amount of rumors, it was like just nip it in the bud. Of course, the rumors had been flying for the 48 hours previously, and if you knew any administrative assistant, you knew that all the heavy hitters at National Public Radio were on planes going to the L.A. Bureau to get ready to sack a whole bunch of people so it was it was it was stressful but i the point i think i want to make is that i am hardly alone yeah no it's uh, that's and that's the thing that that's one of the reasons we've been having people kind of come on and they, yeah. they're willing to just share their stories because it's every day we hear about you know we hear from a listener a caller somebody yeah. will email and be like hey by the way they just gave the boot to like half of the company you know where i work or you know whatever and i mean the, for us the real i mean the moment not that it wasn't bad before 
but there's been a couple sort of uh, benchmarks along the way, either high or low watermarks, depending on how you want to look about it, things that have really unnerved me. One was the Microsoft layer, because Microsoft is, is in a, whatever one thinks about Microsoft, they are in, they are in essence a utility at this point. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like the water company laying people out. This is making a thing that everybody uses. So Microsoft, and then I think the same week it was Intel and Sun Microsystems. And so that was, you know, kind of freaking me out. And then I wrote this down. Where did I? I wrote this down. I wanted to mention this, actually. This is a good time to do this. I was just talking to somebody. Is this a commercial break? This is not. Oh, okay. Coming from NPR, you probably have no idea what it even sounds like to go to a commercial break. <laughs> Unless I'm going to be selling, like, tote bags to people who give me 500 bucks. Well, I heard you were doing that shtick. You were doing the shtick about, you know, the flower thing. I thought you handled that well. Nice segue from conversation into commercial and back. Please don't take this the wrong way when I say I just want to come hug you. I really do. I don't know why. <laughs> see, I don't think you could ever see my therapist because she looks very similar to my therapist. Yeah. I think I can, I, I can see the song and dance that you're doing right now, and you'd never get anything accomplished. No, no. Um, <laughs> it's the little Jewish woman sitting syndrome here that we're talking yeah <laughs> little new york jew here yeah yeah big eyes curly hair 115 pounds yeah yeah and 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 shrinking my, my mother my mother my mother who now lives in portland must have topped four five feet at some point in her life but what do you mean you're shrinking well, like sort you of will too. Mike TV, Willy Wonka style? No, or? no, you just get smaller when you get older. So it's not just a, you're so thin, it's a, you're so short. You're van, I can see through. You, where did you go? You're, you're, distortion, you're distorting. It's just like you're going to slip into subatomic space over there or something if you continue to reduce in size. <laughs> I don't know. Ketzel Levine was just, I believe she reduced to a singularity. <laughs> I think she's become a white dwarf. <laughs> All right. Uh, in any event. Yeah. So I wrote this down. I was just talking to somebody uh, the other day. I'll kind of work... I'll work backward. Uh, if you ever rejoin us, you'll, this, this style of conversation uh, will become familiar to you because it's a thing I do quite frequently. I was working backward from talking about the Sex Pistols. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about punk rock and the Sex Pistols and, uh, you know, the evolution of, of music in Britain at that time. And we, I was, we were talking about how the Sex Pistols really, they, you know, they were, they were sort of, you know, it was sort of a Malcolm McLaren kind of, kind of get-rich-quick scheme in some sense. But just the tone, but, you know, the, the manager kind of put the band together because he wanted to make some money. But the actual guys in the band, I mean, the reason uh, that that music had such a punch and was so powerful and resonated so strongly with the populace is because Britain was going through, like, the worst time ever. I mean, it was just it was rampant. I mean, the unemployment was something insane. It was like 20% or something. And this is not, like, hundreds of years ago. I mean, this is in the 70s. And yes, dear, some of us were alive they, to remember it. I'm just saying uh, that it was, I mean, it was a thing that was in, it was in recent memory that it was so bad and there was garbage in the streets because there was no garbage being picked up and not just like clutter, like garbage rotting in the streets. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, that's, uh, that's it for Britain. Nice, nice to have known you could buy Britain. And it was, you know, it was just sort of, you know, the sun was finally setting on the British empire and out of that kind of came this scream of rage and defiance and whatever. So, but I've always seized on that thing about the garbage not being picked up and how it started to stack up higher and higher because it is just so, it is such a microcosm of that situation. So I was talking to my wife the other day and my wife says, hey, by the way, they're not going to be doing garbage pickup very often at OHSU now. They started to cut back on the garbage pickup. And I, and I actually, we were driving somewhere and I actually stopped the car mm -hmm. and I sort of pulled over and I said, what do you mean? I said, tell me that again very slowly. And she said, at OHSU, they've had so many cutbacks. They're now no longer picking up garbage. I mean, they're doing it like one-third of whatever they were doing it before, like once a week or something. And she's like, and they're telling people, oh, and also, like, they're not going to come into your office anymore to pick up garbage. All the garbage, if you want your garbage emptied in your office, you got to take it, you got to put it into some sort of communal pile, it's got to go outside. 
because they're not even going to have sufficient staff to spend the time to go to offices and clean up. You got to take your garbage out, and it's going to be like again, like one third the time as before. And I told her that that was a thing that really had a disproportionate effect on me in terms of freaking me out, because I just got that whole weird. You know, that flashback, you get that like, kind of shades of, of England thing going on. So it's freaky times. It really is. When are you going to talk about me? Uh, we're moving it back to you. I'm <laughs> moving from the Sex Pistols to garbage no. to Ketzel. I do want to nicely. My gut feeling, seriously. I mean, I know, I know you don't really like getting serious too often. And I won't stay here. But, you know, big deal is, my, is the thought I'm having. It's like, whatever it takes to get through this, we will all pitch in and we will all get through this. You know, what I wonder is the people that were laid off, the people who were picking up the garbage or the cleaning crews that were coming through, you know, where do they go now? I mean, where do they go looking for work? There are, I know a lot of people who are actually looking for jobs as cleaners, I guess, because maybe the assumption is that people are not going to stop having office buildings and stuff right. cleaned. But uh, this is... Uh, it's a scary time, and I strongly believe that it's only in our own generosity towards each other that we're really gonna, really going to make something worthwhile of this of this time. So, and I, here's a dumb question: Has NPR ever laid people off before like this? I mean, they did not. I mean, in any sort of large-scale fashion. In the 80s, there was there was a there were some layoffs, and that was had to do with the direction that NPR was going, and sort of a whole program of 24-hour newscasts and stuff that maybe they weren't ready for or whatever it was. I think it might have been biting off a little bit more than they could chew, but nothing like this. And the real bummer about this is that the union could basically do nothing because once it's, you know, once it's a, a, a cry for help financially, and that's just cause, period. You don't need further right. just cause. And so the unions were particularly ineffective and because um, radio unions are so strong to begin with well, yeah. after are you after also no well see here this is a non yeah we're not we're not a union people yeah. here yeah. but yeah. It's, well, our unions you know our union people work hard and a lot of us have all over the years we donate our uh vacation days to them and personal days and stuff like that but there's there's no there's no talking to the man when when money's the bottom line and there's no way that this is a lie i mean you know npr right. was 23 million dollars in the hole, and that was last reckoning. Who knows what it is now? And I just before we uh, talk about this great series of, of stories you were doing. Do you have listeners ended. who get to talk? Or uh, well, they're there, but I mean, but you know, but more listener, less Ketzel. Who wants that? I'm sure they do. Ah, uh, you know, everybody um, wants to hear themselves. But you, but you were, but you were doing including this. you. <laughs> I'm just trying to bring it back to you, Ms. Levine. Yes, yes. So you, but you've done this whole story, right. this series of layoffs. You're yes. profiling. People in different industries, or, or you know, whatever. Well, it wasn't about layoffs. I actually had started a series in um, in November on on NPR's Morning Edition, and it was called American Moxie: How We Get By. And it was a series that was going to take me all around the country as I met people who were just sort of making do, making sacrifices, reevaluating their lives. People who just, just sort of had the guts to face exactly what was happening. And like what many of us are, and just make a game plan, set, give up something, change direction, didn't right. matter. And I wanted to know, you know, what made these people tick and what could we learn from these people. And each person was connected to the next in some way or another. So I started with a farmer. 
And then he pa- and he was a farmer who had to give up his uh, cattle because it was no longer lucrative and put all of his attention into his grain. And then he went for a soda every day and a drive-through in this little town in uh, Illinois, Flora, Illinois. And from him, I went to the woman who was at the counter at the drive-through, who worked two jobs, and one of her jobs was for a trucking company, and she passed me off to a trucker, and you know, so everybody was linked. And uh, and as it turned out, the last person who was an ex-con who'd been in prison for 28 years uh, was working for a landscaping company, and he led to me because in the middle of doing the series, suddenly I was. I was uh, laid off, and the series was canceled. So the series ended with my story, which was basically, well, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but, you know. Now, did you have to, did they, were they resistant to that for you covering yourself, or did did you have to pitch that hard, or was it their idea? Well, you know, uh, most people probably don't know, but I, I had about 15 minutes of fame. I was the most famous uh, laid off person in America for about 15 minutes a couple of weeks ago and there was a New York Times article and then I was on CNN and uh, you know all this sort of stuff and uh, in fact and there was a lot of rumors going around there about how this happened but in fact I said to my boss my boss is great and she said when she when she riffed me she said I don't care what you do for the next month you don't have to work you don't have to do anything but you know this is your notice and I said well I'm sitting on two more American Moxie pieces I will do them if you let me finish the series right. with my story. And ultimately, uh, she approved it. So, this, so you are sort of like a, uh, you're like a laid-off, shrinking female studs turkle for Portland. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm from a whole chain of. Uh, I like it. Um, and so, uh, so uh, I don't know. Quo, quo vadimus. I mean, where, where? I mean, what is? Oh, look how look how low I've sank already. Sunk. God Almighty! Even my English. Do you is have going. the thinking? Chair? Do you feel like? Do you feel like your linguistic skills are deteriorating with every moment you spend you, in the yeah. studio? Yeah. Sarah, let's stop for a moment. Sarah Dillon, mm-hmm. on a scale of one to ten, how much do you think Ketzel Levine likes me? Uh, do you, from my scale of one to ten, how much I think you're trying to impress her? Uh, well, that's like a twelve. I actually course. like you better now than I did um, when I heard you on the radio. Oh, uh, was it, when did the, we should? I should also give a little backstory to this. So, on KCMD Portland. On KCMD Portland, a uh, proud part of the CBS uh, radio family. We are the Tiffany Network. So, when this that first was nice. happened that was, with you, that was good. Well, was you good. know, look, yeah, you're good. I may you're not, good. I may not have your polish and potty mouth, Kettle, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I may not have been in the New York Times, but I know, I know. It, <laughs> I know it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. But I, I sent you an email and we kind of got back and forth. You, you were out of town uh, for a bit. And then so Ketzel and I had this great uh, conversation. I think I told uh, Sarah a little bit about this where we talked on the phone. And I said, well, you know, we, we you know, we're sort of an irreverent program. And I think I think probably I, heard the show. You said I think I, I said you may have heard the show and and, and you said something to the effect of. And I think you asked me three different times. You I said, did. "Is this a commercial radio station?" I just don't commercial. You, I mean, it's not. No, what, what I said was, "Is this is AM? This out of, is AM? this in your basement or something? <laughs> is this just you in the living room pretending you have a show with like puppets on your hands?" 
and I said, now, you know, we, I, I did that stupid thing of like, well, it's like a cross between John Stewart and Rolling Stone. That's pretty much what you said. And you I, know, it's, and yeah. I usually say John Stewart meets Maxim, which is more true. But I just, it, but even on the phone, I didn't want to say like, and we talk about boobs all the time because then that's that's really no uh, well, no way have, to sell yourself. I have yourself. some clippings here of things I'd be willing to talk about. Not the want to, the be willing to. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you know, they're not they're not lighthearted things. Well, Valentine's Day is pretty lighthearted. They are. Well, let me just, before we do anything else, sir, what, or, it's 205, so how should we... Get rid of her? No, 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 I'm just trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out how we should, uh, should we just, we'll roll through this to the next break. Mm-hmm. Then we'll I have. Push the brakes. Okay, then Scott Daly's here. Then we'll do the uh, we'll do the top five after that. All right, excellent. And so then people listening, do they sort of enjoy this this sort of you know this passively hostile, confrontational yet entertaining banter? Yeah. I would I would think I would so. Like to think so. Okay, Who's cool. to say? Okay. I mean, I like to convince myself that people like all manner of things. They might not. I mean, do you think it's because they're, like, stuck in the car right now? Or do you think that they would actually sort of sit by the radio to listen to this? Or do you think they've got to be captive to... Can we find out? Or... Are you I so... don't understand. I'm looking at... I, you know, I'm interested in your people's uh, listening habits. Oh, so you're trying to... Okay. You want to, like, TSL? What does that mean? Time spent listening? Oh, wow. Okay. So... <laughs> TSL. So let's, 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 again, stop down for a moment here. Um, I want to ask you a question about, about NPR. And... <laughs> Here, now, here's why, and I'm really serious about this, uh, because, um, and I'm not, uh, as they say, but I'm not winding you up here, because I really am curious about a lot of things. I I used to work with a woman uh, in, in, we'll just say, another state, and she was, I think she was producing like a country morning show or something. She was at a country music station, and she was producing, and her whole dream was, was to work at NPR. That was like her goal, and she was one of the smartest people I've ever known, and she was just like, someday I'm going to work at NPR, mm-hmm. and that's going to be, you know, and that was kind of like where she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you fast forward to at least as of about six months ago, she was in fact uh, the news person on the Catfish and Mudflap show, which is a country music show in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I'm not making that up. It's like Catfish and Mudflap, and then like this woman who has the unfortunate job of being like the the woman in the room with Mudfish and Catflap or whatever they're called. So, but she would describe NPR to me, and she'd never been there. She'd never seen the building. But I think she'd driven by the NPR building in D.C. or something at one point, and she said. Well, it just seems like such a glorious, magical place. And I think in her head, and I sort of had the same vision of NPR, where NPR... You're assuming that your audience knows what NPR is, which is nice. NPR is national public radio. Yeah. Uh, and and NPR, in my head, it sort of looked like a very special like Christmassy episode of an Aaron Sorkin production. <laughs> Where everything yeah, was like yeah. made out of hardwood, yeah. and there were tiny and the lighting, the recessed lighting, gorgeous. white white lights, yes, everywhere, yeah. and everything. And the banter, as, as you're walking down the halls, like you would hear snatches of conversation that were just so ridiculously brilliant, you just couldn't believe you'd heard that. So it was sort of like an Edward R. Murrow meets Noel Coward, uh, the kind of a thing, and that is totally what I picture NPR looking like. But again, I have no concept, I have no idea. And I suspect that it's probably the same on your side of the looking glass, Ketzel Levine, uh, because uh, it, commercial radio is um, a world apart, let's say. So TSL is the time spent listening. That is the amount of time that one spends uh, listening to a, a given show, a given station, a given a given whatever. Okay. So let me ask you. So me, what did you want to ask me? Well, I wanted. To, so let me ask you this. So in NPR, mm-hmm. uh, when you're is it? I mean, is it? It's not confined listening. In other words, people being, are being forced to listen. That's, a, that's kind of a brand loyal audience you got over there, right? I mean, those are people who, that is probably their, that is probably the, 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 the only preset they got in their car, some of them. Uh, well, they probably have another 
um, non-commercial preset. You know, I have, in this town, I have, what, one, two, three, I have four non-commercial presets, but I suppose I shouldn't really talk about them on your show, but I do. I mean, we've got a a great jazz station, and then we've got a great Pacifica station, and then we've got a classical music station, and then you've got, uh, you know, primarily talk, OPB. So so what's the question, though? I I mean, do you want to know what... NPR really looks like, or would you... I'm just saying, would I be disappointed if I went there? Does it look as magical as it uh, as it does in my dreams? It's, um... I think you would not be too disappointed. But I I think you... You know, I mean, it's just hushed, hallowed halls and people scurrying around doing this, that, and the other thing. But, uh... Um... It's a... It's a... Nice place to work. Is it now? Is it? I mean, is, is the recession ever going to lift to the point that they're going to be go back to previous levels? Is it just going to get worse at a place like that? Is well, this sort is of money is so speculative. It's crazy, but um, you know, there are rumors that the cuts are not over. And I mean, geez, what a surprise, mm-hmm. right? I mean, an NPR in people when they think of NPR, probably like OPB, they picture the guy in front of the bank of like, and if you donate seventy-five dollars, I will send you this toothpick uh, that is embossed with the Red Dwarf logo or whatever, right. you know. And it's like, if you send us a thousand dollars, like you will get this minuscule coffee mug. But that's not how NPR is funded. I mean, where does the, I have, where, where does the money for NPR come from? Well, actually, I, um, if I'm not mistaken, more than half of it comes from the member stations themselves. And so that may, if member stations have trouble raising money, then they'll have trouble paying their dues to NPR. But where we got, where it, I have to stop saying we, that, that was, that was really tough to move from us to them. You know, you work for some place right. off and on. I've been I've been in public radio for a very long time, over 30 years, and to suddenly move from us to them, and now I can't listen to NPR. Is it, is it just because it's just too? It's well, just everybody difficult. I hear, I say, Jesus, f, Benowitz. No, yes. Yeah. You know, I um, I can't believe um, they're on and I'm not. Jesus F. Rabinowitz, by the way, is uh, that's going to be the name of my punk band if I ever form it. <laughs> They're like, hello, we are Jesus F. Rabinowitz, and we have come to rock. So, yeah. But, it, but, you, but yeah. No, you, no, I mean, I, I um, actually, I found that I've gotten stupid since I stopped listening to uh, NPR because it was my main news source, and now I'm just sort of like, you know, just out in the ozone someplace, which is nice, but I do have to start buying a newspaper again and getting back in touch while they still make newspapers. You haven't enjoyed the disconnect? Did you ever, was there, did you go through a media blackout period where you're just like, it's well, I, le- I left after I got riffed for vacation. That was, in, that was two weeks of media blackout. And unfortunately, I missed the inauguration and I really, I really uh, regret that. But you were in sort of like a sensory, uh, like a sensory deprivation tank of the mind yeah, uh, for a while. Yeah, very remote part of Costa Rica where I just sort of got lost in the jungle and tried to avoid getting bitten by by venomous snakes. Oh, wow. I, I have to ask you this question, actually. Do you Once know, bitten, twice shy. Do, do you know a woman named Lacey Turner, by chance? Just offhand? No, it's a good drag name, though. Just, I'll be sure to tell you. <laughs> the only reason I ask is because I do believe that you have a... I do believe there is a Quetzal Levine doppelganger. Uh-oh. And by the way, we're listening to Quetzal, uh, Quetzal Levine, who's long time... You were at NPR here in Portland for how long? Not here in Portland. I've or, been but, with NPR since uh, 77. 70? Wow. Oh, shut up. No, I'm just... The only reason I ask it because it just... Here's the thing. It, like, in commercial radio, you just have no 
saying that you were with a company like a commercial radio company for yeah. uh, however you well, know. Well, I kept long it, it, you know, in all honesty, I came and went because I I kept leaving NPR, doing other things, and then coming back again because there was nothing I loved more. As somebody, but I did leave. As somebody once said, that, it's like seeing a dog play the piano. I mean, it's just so foreign to, to me. I have no Sarah and I know one person. There's a woman who works at KGOM, which is a classic rock station, and she's oh, Iris, Iris mm-hmm. who's been there for I think now like 26, 27 years, which yeah. is just. I mean, it's like Esperanto. It's just like a completely yeah. foreign. I can't. I can't even wrap my no, brain. No, there are a it. lot of, uh, as we say in Yiddish, altakakas at uh, at NPR. That's um, old farts. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yiddish... And you know, a lot of us came in in the mid seventies, and um, just kept changing with the uh, with NPR, so, growing up with it. So, is there going to be something that uh, that not replaces that? But I mean, you know, is there going to be? Hey, didn't you hear? You're you're out. I'm in. <laughs> It's over. That's actually happened to him before. It's over, Rick. Oh, no, that has happened. With Radio Disney, of all things. I think that was the last what? thing. What? Did you get canned on the air? Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, it was much worse than that. Um, the That wasn't even the last time. When was the, the last time we got fired? That was at Entercom, Three right? Ago. All right. That was where... Um, were you two together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were doing a show together. We've been, we've been uh, doing... Are you married? No. Uh, well, well not officially. Yes, it's only a work, work marriage. Spouses. Okay. Um, no, that we got uh, fired a few years ago from uh, Intercom Radio, which is uh, you know the, the the company that owns some more of the commercial radio stations mm-hmm. here in town, mm-hmm. and that's where I got off the air. And the program director at the time, I got up there and he, he, he said, "Rick, can I talk to you in my office?" And I go to the office, and he sits down. And here's how you know it's bad news. The boss, he comes and he sits down, not across from me, in the chair next to me, mm. on my side. And he sits down, and he but does... He touches you? Does well, he put his hand on your arm? Yeah, but in kind of a... Like he was a jock, he was an athlete. So in kind of that, like, I'm not gay, but I'm going to touch you right now so we can bond, uh, brother. And he, he, like, kind of claps me on the shoulder, and he says... I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, but I swear to God, he says... Rick, there's no easy way to tell you this, so I'm just going to tell you. And it's like, at that point, you're just... Uh, you know, and in your head, you get the circuit is already closing, like, and your Facebook status is going to unemployed. Um, and he says, so uh, the station is going to be changing to an all, what the hell was it, old, an all oldies format at 2 o'clock today. Your show is no more. That was your last show. Sorry to have told you this, but it's just the way it is. Can I help you in any way? <laughs> I was like, Can no, I don't. I... Don't hesitate to ask if you need anything. <laughs> That's you know, Here's what I need. I need you to make that not happen. Could you please, I need you to, or just shoot me uh, right now, one of the two. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, that's sad. I'm sorry that happened to you. Uh, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, that which doesn't kill you makes you more bitter, Ketzel. Uh, when I was in Utah, I was working at a talk station there. And Utah is a, uh, that's a big child having place. Everybody there is exceptional. It's like a whole state full of the Octomom. Everyone there is exceptionally fertile, fertile and just cranking out children constantly in accordance with prophecy. And Where the, was this? Uh, Utah. And so that's, you know, one of the places where they decided to roll out the Radio Disney format, which is sort of like, as my friend Todd called it, it was a, sort of like a radio for riddle and dosed five-year-olds. <laughs> and they started it in Orlando, Anaheim, and Salt Lake. And so I was doing this, uh, you know, talk show and whatever, and my uh, my alarm clock at home was set to wake me up with the radio station. So I go to sleep, and you know, I go to sleep, I go to sleep with a job on top of the world. Look at me, I have a job. I'm fantastic. Everyone loves me. And then the alarm clock goes off the next morning, and it was, I mean, it wasn't the small world song, but it might as well have been. I mean, it, the alarm clock goes off, and it, you're listening to Radio Disney, and it was kind of one of those weird. Like you're doing that Bugs Bunny thing of going like I, I, and shaking your head, trying to uh, mm-hmm. and trying to wake up from Let's this do that some more. awful. I, I, That's it. It's one of my only skills. That's good. Well, you know, it does bring up the subject of what it feels like 
to be unemployed and all of the buttons that it pushes. Um, and that's uh, that's pretty serious stuff. You know, I mean, I've, I got a lot of advice from people, and uh, among the things that they uh, that I took to heart was, um, I'm still who I am. You know, I'm still who I am with the same skills. Um, I mean, that's the objective truth. But it is really hard to hold on to that, and I'm I'm very surprised how difficult it is. It, we had a there's somebody we had a friend of ours in the studio. Well, I guess I can say it was Jamie. Um, you may not, but Jamie Cooley, who was a you know she worked at, at a, a music station in town for a long time since she was, and it was kind of kind of similar to you in the sense that she'd worked for a big chunk of her life. And I think that might have actually been, I think K&RK might have been the only station she'd ever worked at. I believe so, yeah, for like 11 years, I think. Third, I think it was longer than that because she got an internship at at 17, and I think she was there. I think she got laid off at 30 or something. So she'd been at this radio station for 13 years, and her whole adult life had been at this radio station. And she got laid off, and it was, you know, like a lot of people on radio. She didn't really have any other uh, demonstrable skills uh, as such. And... So she had gone to the unemployment office, and you're signing up for unemployment, and you're filling out the whole sheet of, like, what else can you do? And she's, you know, like, checking off skills that have, like, no application anywhere outside of a broadcasting booth. Promo copy, <laughs> read, yeah, a I voiceover. Can, I know exactly how many words are in a 70-second spot, uh, or, you know, 30-second spot, which right. is 70. And, you know, and so she's filling out this whole form, and then they're like, well, we'll put you on an email list for available opportunities, Jamie. And she came in when she was on the show with us one day, mm-hmm. and literally as, I mean, within the space of about 90 minutes, as she was on the show, mm-hmm. she got two emails from this company that were like job suggestions, mm-hmm. and one was at a fast food restaurant at the drive-thru, and it was like, there is an opening, an opening available at whatever this and place she was, the drive-thru. And a good voice. And, and the other one was... Um, <laughs> Uh, it was at a truck stop, and it was like working the cashier at a truck stop. And I know it was like an automated list, and probably a lot of people got that. But I mean, it's not that not that there isn't dignity in all human work because there is, but it of is course, it is a little bit of a culture shock, especially when you're in working in a specialized field like radio, like you know, and especially at NPR, where it is removed from I think at least until recently from a lot of the business realities, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of broadcasting. So it's. Yeah, but you know my 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 interest in this and where I'm trying to lead you, but of course you're really leading this dance, so it's just a feeble effort for me to focus the conversation. <laughs> um, you know, is 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 how one has to really be careful how one talks to oneself. You know, when you lose a job, you can you can make things so much more toxic for yourself if you are you know on your own butt about how. You know, you brought this about, or how you could have done something to make things turn out differently, um, and also that you know that your worth is wrapped up in your work. I mean, that's man, that is painful and that is difficult. And you know, I I, I, I can't not work, and I'm not alone. There are many of us who can't not work, right. and so we'll find work. You know, it may not it may not pay very well, but no one is going to stop any of us unemployed people from being a part of the planet and what's going on in this country. And I think that's the illusion. It's like I've been disenfranchised. Well, screw that. You know, I lost my job, but I can still, uh, you know, I still got my credentials to walk the planet and be a part of what goes on around me. By the way, I like to think that we're giving you a forum to say screw that, which maybe you couldn't say very often at NPR. I like to think that we are opening that door for you. Thank you. Well, Thank you. I'm I'm breathing easier already. <laughs> I do actually I have do. a very vile mouth, and so having an open mic format like this is scary. Well, that's why God created the 40-second delay. Do you guys have a delay at NPR? N- uh, n- uh, no. Because I don't know how much of NPR stuff is actually so live. So you have a 40-second delay? Yes, please don't use that as an open door to curse. But yes, I've, what you speak now yeah. is heard out of the speakers 40 seconds from now. 
And who's there riding the button in case I say... Uh, there's multiple buttons. Mm. Uh, I got one. Sarah has one. Literally in my office. If you're going to my office, I have... It's one of the greatest things they ever gave me, the engineering the department. Button. It is a button the size of like a dinner plate. It looks like a Dr. Strange, like a first strike button, sort of a like a whiskey, whiskey Wait, Bravo so, Foxtrot thing. So right now, forgive me for being six years old, but right now, if I say... A word, which I'm sure you will not say, but... Uh, but, uh, but can I say it because no, they won't hear it? No, no, oh. you cannot. Okay. Please do not. Because okay. because I don't... Because it's, it may not work. Technology is wonderful, but then what if I were to have some sort of a seizure and not be able to reach the button, and Sarah is trying to put a stick in my mouth so I don't chew off my tongue. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're thinking this is my opportunity to seize control of the radio station, and you go all Che Guevara. You take over the microphone, and then Les Moonvest calls me on the phone and so screams right, at me. Listen in your headphones, so I'm going to put you to air, so this is what everyone's hearing right now. Okay. That is what's on the radio right now. So oh, that, that is was what, a long time ago. Oh, that was 40 seconds ago. Wow, wow. Wow. Okay. Well, moving right along. Then. All right. Well, I have to say this. So it's it's 2:20, and so I I hate we to haven't this, talked but, about anything. I yet. know. And but behold, the power of of the Rick Emerson show. It's a time. It's a time suck. <laughs> Um, so and I so I hate to do this, but we're gonna uh, have to uh, we're gonna have to go to our next it's segment. Already and I, here. And I really yeah, and I really apologize. So I'll tell you what, I will not put you in the awkward position of of telling me now whether you'd like to come back at some point. But um, but I have all these clippings. I would like you to think if you would like to rejoin us at some point, we'd love to have you back in a day we have more time. So don't feel compelled right. to well, answer really, now. Really, I mean, I've given you a lot of, <clears throat> but. You're a doll, and thank you so much oh, for no. having Oh, no. Oh, you, Ketzel. Oh, I mean it. All right. Ketzel Levine, ladies and gentlemen, formerly of NPR. All right. Back after this, the Rick Emerson Show continues next. Don't go anywhere. Nine years without a single drop. I'm back on that booze. I don't know where. All right. We really should have come back with some cello music here. Oh, darn it. All right. I really feel like I dropped the ball. That's okay. I have my uh, Facebook music. Why, hello, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. All right, uh, before we do anything else, uh, before we welcome Susan Reynolds to the program, she's going to count down her top five Stevie Wonder love songs. Scott Daly is in the kitchen. Well, yeah, uh, in fact, um, Scott Daly, if you want to, uh, Richie, if you want to have Scott come into the uh, studio here, just so everybody's sort of prepared. So the weirdest thing happened. So we just, I mean, and I don't mean the talking to Ketzel Levine. So the whole uh, Ketzel Levine uh, uh, segment happened. And then we turn off the mics and we go to break. And I say, hey, I apologize. We ran out of time or whatever. We go to the break. We're talking to Ketzel. And who was just so unbelievably nice. I mean, she, like, gave Sarah, like, a big, like, hug or whatever. Or she was like, like, oh, I had such I, a blast. I don't even I know what it. to think. Our I'm, minds are spinning. I have... I didn't think she liked this, and then... And I've, I have, I'm so confused. So I, am I. She's like, when she leaves, she's like, oh, I had such a great time. And and I think she meant it. I th- Here's the weird... I mean, I let's, just, let's be very clear. I'm going to d- d- right now just to say something very, very uh, clearly here. Um, this is not like a Stacey Wilson Stacey thing. Wilson. This is not a Stacey Wilson from from uh, from Portland Monthly thing. I'm being no, very she, clear about that because I'm looking at the nice. email, and a lot of the email are like, this is great, and a lot of the email are like, hey, what you know, this woman is pretentious. What is her problem? And I think Sarah will back me up on this. This isn't like the thing where Stacey Wilson clearly hated us and and just just as people and like, just as people and personally and professionally not, not the show hated us. I feel like I've been sort of kissed and then punched and then kissed again by my therapist. Did she hit you and it felt like a kiss? Yes. Um, I know I don't because she's so genuine and so. Con- I just she does. You and I were talking about this. She doesn't understand, I think, like commercial radio. That's the thing, and so she, people that's are. That's all she's ever done is NPR, right? For like since '77, which is what, it's 32 years. So people are, uh, you know, emailing saying, what, did, "What does she mean? Who would listen to this program?" And here's let me the thing. That was a genuine question. 
it, what said everything to me, and Susan Reynolds, let's welcome now Susan, uh, don't act with me, Reynolds, uh, marketing director, hello. Hi. Did you hear that? Yeah. What did you think? Well, I, I was I was I was sort of like you. I was kind of like, wow, great. Oh, ew. But then Yay. great again. And then she was so <laughs> yeah. nice when when the mics went up. She, she like she's like I had such a blast. I'd love to come back and whatever. And I said, well, I'll, she's like I, I said I'll get in touch. She goes, oh, I've heard that before, you know. But then, and <laughs> you know, she ended up like in like a sticky way, like in a funny, funny way. But you know what told me everything? And this again, we can't not talk about it because like I'm getting a thousand emails a minute about it. <laughs> what told me everything and what indicates to me. That she was not being, at least intentionally, sort of above us. She probably just is above us, let's be honest. I mean, she probably just is better than I am, at least. I mean, I'm just hey, going to admit that. Were you on CNN once or something? Seriously. Well, I was on Bill O'Reilly's show okay. once. Um, <laughs> oh. Is that what told me everything and what the proof to me that she was just legitimately curious and confused about what happens in this crazy commercial world of radio? She didn't know what TSL was. And by the way, for people who don't know, TSL is is a, 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 a measurement of how long someone spends listening to the show and something they use in rating in ratings. And that got my feathers a little ruffled because I was like, I don't, you know, as soon as do she people said that, have to be forced to listen at gunpoint in cars? Yes, yeah, somebody just wrote um, a comment. They're like, oh, and I listen yeah. because I'm forced to. But I mean, when she didn't know what TSL was, which again, I'm not trying to be insulting. It's just that's a thing you learn in commercial radio because mm. you have to because it's it's part of the ratings. And then when she didn't know what a delay was, she's like, what do you mean it's a delay? Yeah, that and, was puzzling. That was strange, and yeah. The, and it's like she's been radio 30 years. So I mean, 32 years in radio, didn't know TSL, didn't know a delay, which, again, I'm not trying to insult her. I'm saying that right there indicates... No, because she's lived in the magical bubble. ...what a different world she's coming from. And I yeah. think that she just didn't... Probably I truly doesn't. believe she yeah. didn't understand. She was really curious, because she's probably never heard a program like ours. Like I think she was genuinely curious, like, who listens to them? Right. But it, it occurs to me that if you're in radio, and I know how I am, I mean, I listen to everything. And so to me, it's sort of curious that she wouldn't sample something other than the world she was in, you know? Well, but don't you think that NPR is very, it's an, I mean, look, you think kink is on a separate planet. I think NPR is like kink on crack. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, but here's the other thing, and this won't mean anything to people out there, so I apologize. But we work with a woman named Lacey Turner, who is our public affairs director. I think that Ketzel Levine, who, who joined us here, I think she is Lacey Turner if Lacey didn't have to work here. You know what I mean? Like if Lacey, yeah. the only reason that Lacey is the way Lacey is is because she's been forced to coexist with DJs. I think if Ketchel had been kidnapped and made to live with like Court and Fat Boy, you know, she would turn out like Lacey Turner. Now that would be a real world or a, a Big Brother kind of situation that I would love to watch. I just, I'm with Sarah. I feel so conflicted, and I yeah. kind of have a little crush on her. And but I then know I feel you like she do. could you have more of a crush on? But her? then she Ooh. kind of. But That's when he starts. To, you can always tell when he starts flustering, and then he whips up the classic one ten skill. That's when you can tell he's trying uh, to impress somebody. If he did it with. Uh, but, but then it's like she hates me. But then I kind of hated her back. But then I loved her a little bit. But then she loved me. But then we were angry at each other well, again. She, she played hard to get, and you know, and it worked. <laughs> yeah. I am so confused right oh. now. I feel like I have to go see my shrink now because of because of talking to well, Rick. I think it's the perfect time for the Stevie Wonder uh, Top 5 Love Song. Indeed. And then I apologize to Scott Daly. Hey, Scott Daly. Hey, how are you doing? Hey. I, I'm sorry. That Don't just... be sorry. That was an awkward... <laughs> Uh, by the way, you understand now why I didn't have any of you come in while Ketsa Levine is here, because it would have just been, I think she would have looked at you like you were aliens, like, what? I don't want, why is someone else coming? Why is this song playing? I have one question, <laughs> and, and, and this, 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 again, she was great, the interaction was awkward, but still, you know, it's just so great compelling. That's what I said when we turned off the mics, I'm like, that was awkward, but yeah. I think it was good radio. But it was good, I'm not sure. A quick question, when, when you contacted her to, to come on the show, and yes. how long ago was that? 
Well, she got laid off in December. Okay. And we played email tag, and then she was out of town. Okay. And, you know, and, and of course, understandably, she was, as she said, and it was a big deal, actually, to be fair. People thought that she was just bragging. It was a big deal when she got laid off. Oh, yeah. Because, A, NPR does never lay people off, and B, she was doing a series of stories, and her last story was about her own layoff. So that was legitimately, again, people think she was bragging. That was a legitimately big thing she did. So she did get a lot of press and interviews. She was busy with that, then she was gone. And then we had a bunch of people already booked, and then we were trying to find a time that worked. And even today, she came in at like 1.30 because we couldn't find a way to make the noon hour work for all of us. Right. So it was, but it's been like six weeks in the okay, making. So yeah. my question is, I would think she'd do a little bit of research on the show, maybe listen to a couple <laughs> past episodes yeah. or read the website, just just kind of get a general feeling for the show. I, I don't know. I think she listened on the way in today because she actually said, she goes, well, I like you a lot more now than I did when you were on the radio. Yeah, nice. Hey, and I don't know way. what I was even doing today that was so off-putting. But again, I'm not trying to be insulting. I just, I'm just... I'm just curious as to what kind of research a lot a lot of the folks who come in who have not been on the show or not heard the show what kind of research they do before. Well, she they come was so profane. She said Jesus F Rabinowitz, which was. <laughs> you know, the first thing she did when she came in the studio is just like, God, you talk so effing fast. And then luckily, the, like, luckily the mics weren't open because she off, never yeah. bothered. Jeff. She's like, you talk so effing fast. Like as soon as she sat down behind the mic, he said that. <laughs> wow. Because no, they don't do that at NPR. Well, because I don't think they're ever live there. That's the thing. That's why she didn't know what a forty-second delay was. Oh, I. That yeah. didn't occur yeah. to me. They record everything. I was about to. I tried to ask her, like, so was it all live? And she goes, you talk so fast. Again, which is like Margaret Cho's mother. How you get so tall? <laughs> Why are you so tall? <sighs> I hate to ask this, Susan. Please yeah, forgive me. Okay. So I hate for... I don't apologize oh, for I being this guy. Okay, is this... Oh, oh Is this like go. a Jewish thing? Well, there it is. Like okay. a hit, hit you but love you thing? Well, huh. Is it like a that sort of that loving but malicious Jewish comedy? Well, now, okay. Not malicious, but you know what I mean. Like no. the, the loving but pointed. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to the East Coast New York thing because um, you've known me a long time and I'm not like that. <laughs> Am I? Well, no, <laughs> no, not at all. But I mean, I but because I mean, I I, I don't know because I think she made that reference early. She on. did. She made it very early on, and I thought, okay, well, you know. And so um, I wondered, like, is that I don't know. I mean, is it? Uh, you so know, obviously, many cultural divides happening uh, happening here. Clearly, but to me, it, 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 she she struck me as sort of the New York Jewish girl, snobby a little bit, a little bit. But I know. mean, but not in. A, but again, I think for not in a bad not way. in a mean, but not in a mean way. I think she's just. I think it is like she was. Ketzel, I know you're listening, so I apologize. <laughs> Let me put it this way: It's like the rest of us were all raised by wolves, <laughs> and she was raised <laughs> by people. Okay. That's the thing. Not like she was raised by because it's not that. Right. It's that it's like we were all raised by Romulus and Remus, and she was raised by like somebody from uh like the Daughters of the American Revolution. <laughs> uh, and and so then she's having to commune with commoners. I am so good. I'm gonna have to go home and just sit in a dark room and think about today for so long. Okay. Well, like a typical weekend for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the crying. <laughs> Always the crying. <laughs> Okay. Who wants to do a top five to lift five, everything? Thank you. Four, three, I'm exhausted. Two, wow. One, fire. Don't you kind of wish that she was here at the same time that, like... No. No. I'm trying to think of who she could have been here, like, at the same... as Like, with, like her at the same time as, like... Darcel. <laughs> she probably would have gotten along really well with Darcel, actually. I don't know, like, David Walker or somebody? Or maybe Dennis. Or Dennis. Oh, God. Oh, wow. 
Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. We have to make that happen. <laughs> and I have to arrange for all of us to leave the room at some point and leave her and Dennis alone oh. while somebody secretly mans the dump button. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Ketzel and Dennis Pitsenbarger in the room at the same time? Well, just the, just the, the sheer, idea of yeah, yeah. Okay, i got to put that away because that's all I can okay. think about now. You don't have time to think. No. All right. Hello, Susan Reynolds. Oh, hi. How are you? Oh, fantastic. All right. You have, uh, now you asked, by the way, I should say this, Susan called dibs on today's top five like two months ago. No oh, lie. more than two months ago. Like I called dibs on, this, on the Valentine's Day top five because I'm going to do a Stevie Wonder list. And I said, okay, you have at it. And we booked so, it in. And then lots of people were lusting after this to- this slot. David Walker's like, mm-hmm. I wish I would have done that. I love Stevie Wonder. So give us a little background. You love Stevie Wonder. I do. And I've loved him a long time. <laughs> I guess we could, we could say. In fact, um, you know, I brought in my boxed uh, collection. The uh, at the close of the century, and this is like the definitive Stevie Wonder CD collection. I mean, this is this is hands down. This is this is the thing. Oh yeah, and I mean, you know what? Because there's a lot of good love songs out there by a lot of good artists, but I think he really um, he encapsulates everything you would feel. And his lyrics are wonderful. His his voice is incredible. The the music, and he's such a great musician. So it all comes together for me uh, with Stevie. And uh, you have had the good fortune to see him oh, live. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many times. Well, but... no, really just once, and it was in Chicago, and I think it was in the 80s, and, and uh, it was in the round, right. and I, I think I was with my sister, and I remember just crying through a good, <laughs> which doesn't sound like a good time, maybe, but I'll tell you what, the oh, songs no. were very uh, emotional and moving. And Susan, I got a death threat from a listener. Mm-hmm. If, there's, if there's one song, I must say what song it is, if there's one song that's not on there, apparently I'm going to perish. Well, because it's well, a very divisive. better you than me. Whatever <laughs> <laughs> you did the we did the top five or the, the, the funkiest, uh-huh. whatever, yeah. and it was like people came out of the woodwork. Oh, they I were mean, knocking on the door here. Yeah, but they, seriously, they were outside, like, you know, again, like zombies at the Monroeville Mall. Like, <laughs> i got to get in and talk about the Stevie Wonder top five brains. Yeah. So, so uh, and, and, you know, the toughest part about this was really just narrowing it down to five songs. I mean, I was just beating myself up. So I hope uh, that that this is not your last well, day it, on Earth, Scott. Well, it's our friend Keelig in, uh, in Vegas. Uh, or Keelan. Keelan. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, well, here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, these are the top five Stevie Wonder love songs as, uh, as deduced by Susan Reynolds. And we start with the honorable mention, yes? Right. And, yeah, and Richie hasn't put these in order, so I'm just going to, I'll just do them by title, so. Okay, so this one is, uh, comes off the Songs in the Key of Life uh, album from 1976, mm-hmm. Knocks Me Off My Feet. Um, oh, I'm sorry, and of course I just hit the, uh, the wrong button over okay, here, that's my well, fault. This... And, there we go. Ah. <laughs> you know, and this is one of those songs about when you, I think when you first fall in love with somebody and you're just... It's all you can think about. Some of that funk. Just from the get-go. Yeah. You know, he, he, oh. I fear from the past. See? I go all week. This is like, you know what this, this accompanies the montage sequence in the film of The Happy Days. You know? Yeah. This is the montage of, like, young love. Right. You know? Going to the coast. Uh, you know, picking flowers, throwing a ball, and a dog returns it in the park. <laughs> Getting snow cones. <laughs> Do they run to each other uh, in slow motion? Seriously, don't you think that this is like where? Yeah, this is like the part where like Ed Burns, uh, you know, and like Cameron Diaz are first in love. Yeah. You know, before it all goes wrong or something. It's just you know, it's just it's it's, it's a good, a happy, but it's not it's not sappy. No, I don't think. Not cloying in any way. No. Excellent. Because he does have some of those. I like this list already. Okay. All right. We ready for number five? Whenever you want to go okay. forward, Susan. This is it. It's uh, this is more of a hopeful one. 
Uh, and it's from Talking Book, which was a great, great album from 1972. I believe when I fall in love, it will be forever. You just saved my life. Thank oh, you. Is that oh. the one that was on the list? <laughs> yes, it was. Excellent. Because <laughs> this is a great one about, you know, okay, maybe it didn't work out this time, but I, I just, I'm always hanging on to the hope that there is love out there for me. Got to keep going. Yeah. I can already see you sitting at home uh, listening to this on a 45. Legs crossed. Staring out the window. Yeah. Contemplating what went wrong and why. Wearing like a free-to-be-you-and-me shirt. (laughs) I was a little bit of a hippie chick back in those days, I have to say. But, you know, that was a good thing. It suited me. What a voice, though. Unbelievable. You know, and everything I've read about him is that he's just an amazing guy. I mean, all the way around. Positive, hopeful. Oh, you never read anything bad about him. No, Stevie people love him. Everyone, that's the thing. That is yeah. the reason. There's, you will never find anybody that's like, I don't like Stevie Wonder. No. Everyone loves Stevie And I don't Stevie care Wonder. what kind of music they're really into. You know, he sort of crosses over all the... Uh, but here it is. Here it is. I believe when I fall in love with you. Yeah. Right? Ugh. Boy. Yeah, come on now. I believe when I fall in love, the See, he's hopeful. It's going to happen. Yeah, what a song. Yeah. So. These are the top five Stevie Wonder love songs as determined by Susan Reynolds. Okay, number four. Back to Songs in the Key of Life, which was a tour de force, I might add. Uh, it was a double album. It took two years for him to make. The song is called As. From the moment the first note plays, I think you just, you can't help but love this. Everyone's bobbing their head. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just, he's obviously found in this song some incredible love. Yeah. Is it, by the way, it's sort of telling. This is like those moments on the film commentary where the movie's so great that they all are, they quit talking because they're just watching the movie and we're all just listening to the song. Uh-huh. It's like, what can you say about it? It's kind of a cool laid back uh, sound to it, just sort of a. And then. Uh. And it goes on for seven minutes, so See, uh, unfortunately we can't hear the whole And thing. I'm a sucker for that. Like, that's the way to my heart is to have any kind of a, a, a like a gospel sounding yeah. chorus. Oh, yeah. You know, that's uh, no matter what song it's in, you put like a gospel sounding thing in the background. I'm I'm there. All right, Susan Reynolds presenting the top five Stevie Wonder love songs. Okay, number three. Uh, this is All in Love Is Fair off the Inner Visions album, and this is one of those just uh, wow. You know, this is obviously he had some trouble along the way. Who hurt you, Stevie? Really, I want to know. <laughs> All is fair in love. Mm. So he's experienced all sides, you know. Love's a crazy game. And so this is as uh, this is, is as Renee Zellweger is walking down uh, the alley in her uh, Playboy bunny outfit <laughs> with the sad bendy ear and the tail falling off. <laughs> the tail's a little dark with dirt or scuff marks on it. I don't remember what song it is they play in Bridget Jones' Diary at that scene, but this is like in my head. That's what's playing right now. Yeah. When the crying scene? Well, she's walking and she has the sad bent ear as the Playboy bunny, or you know, she dressed up as the bunny outfit for the for the for the Tarts and Vickers party. 
And then she goes home. I forget why she goes home sad. And but it's like the saddest detail that in her bunny ear, her bunny costume, one of the ears is like bent. Oh. It's just like yeah. You saw. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and these songs just—I mean—they just—they just almost kill you, <laughs> you know. Mm. These are the top five Stevie Wonder love songs as compiled by Susan Reynolds. Well, because you know I would be singing, but <laughs> but I don't want to do this to anyone. Okay, number two. Uh, now this was uh, in 1980 off the Hotter Than July album. Lately. Uh-huh. This is so another beautiful. one where he obviously he realizes the relationship is over and. Uh, we've all been there. Yes, we have. Lately I have had the strangest feeling With no vivid reason here to find Yet the thought of losing you's been hanging Round my mind These songs are all, uh, they're bringing me down. I'm sorry, especially after what you've just experienced in the last hour. <laughs> this is yes. The subtitle to this is Quetzal's theme. <laughs> theme from an awkward place. <laughs> I love a good smooth bass line too. Yeah. You know, and the way this flows in the song is beautiful. Did you see him with the Grammys? Yes, and you know, uh, I was a little disappointed that he was on with the Jonas Brothers. That was so. Like I know so little about the Jonas Brothers, I can't even hate them. Like I don't even. I'm just so indifferent to them. It it, you know, it, it's a Disney Channel band, exactly. and you know, it's I just thought, oh, what happened? But then I realized he didn't. Uh, that was probably not his choice. And then, no. well, and they barely knew the words to the song for Crown Loud. Yeah, it was really sad. Yeah. Mm. And so this is, is this another song that you would sit you driving oh. around the streets of Chicago in your car, rain-soaked night? Singing to the top of my lungs. John, John Cusack style. <laughs> totally. <laughs> the sign of our controversial first date. <laughs> this rain is a cleansing yeah, of my soul. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Wow. And I mean, I was living in Chicago, and that can be depressing, and you know, <laughs> in its own way. I mean, I Chicago, Chicago was depressing. Like, it was a beautiful city, but it was... It- Sometimes depressing. Well, I mean, you know, I, it's an industrial feeling town, from what I'm told. I've never pretty, been there. It's pretty cool. Looking oh, it, it's, like, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, I, I you know, it was, it's my hometown. So what can I say? But uh, you know, there were times it wasn't all happy for me. My uh, my wife went there. She said it was just you know, she was very. I mean, obviously windy, blah blah blah. But she said, yeah. but just the, the weather, just the elements, everything oh. feels very harsh. It's intense. Yeah. It's just it's, like big slabs of like brick, and just like, everything's kind of gray. And those cold winds when they hit you in the face. Oh well, it's, man! I mean, man, that is brutal. Piercing. And it's no accident that they sent Glengarry Glen Ross in Chicago. No. I mean, oh, that's you yeah. Know, uh, because it's just the, and the L going by. And yeah, just, you all know, of it. Yeah. All right. All right. Do we have uh, finally uh, okay. we have number one here? This is the uh, the top of the top of the pops. To me, this is the quintessential love song, and it is called "You and I, We Can Conquer the World" from Talking Book, 1972. On earth together, it's you and I. God has made us fall. This is like a uh, you and me against the world. Kind of, and.
and it, it's, it's a beautiful song all the way through, and the final notes of the song are just, I mean, they just are incredible. Thank you, Susan Reynolds. Very nice. Thank you for putting that together. And I'm going to go up in my office now and have a good cry. Open up all vodka and weep. All right. Happy Valentine's Day. Maybe I'll catch Levine come by to cheer you up and then hit you. Thanks. Right. Back after this, we'll talk to Scott Dallymore. And uh, don't forget, like us at 3, Michael Mara Show at 7, Phil Hedrick at 11. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. That you will be. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Let me just, uh, I'll read this final breakup story. We'll talk to Scott Daly. We'll see what's coming up on musicology. Then I will go home alone. Uh, we have now this from, I can't even say the name on the air, actually. The winner of a $75 ProFlowers.com gift card. It says, I was in finals week my sophomore year of college. My much-needed financial aid check hadn't come, and I'd forgotten to print up an essay due in an hour. Called a shiftless, slacker, live-in boyfriend before he could email me to save copy of the essay so I could print it at school. No, he said he couldn't because he was at work. I doubted this as he had a spotty employment history, and I didn't even think he had a job. I sped home to print out my essay, knowing I'd be late for my test, and found him hiding under my bed, where he had dashed when he heard my key in the door. The next day, I found out he'd also forged my signature and stolen my financial aid check. The end, in Beautiful. so many ways. Visit proflowers.com, click on the microphone on the upper right-hand corner, type in Emerson get a, uh, to uh, get a fantastic deal on the flowers. This person doesn't need it because they want a $75 gift card. Uh, hello, Scott Daly. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Newest episode of Film Fever Radio is up as we speak. Uh, it's kind of, last week's show was massive. Last week's show was like two hours and 45 minutes. We interviewed Neil Gaiman and Henry Selleck, and it was just madness. And so this week, Aaron talked about Friday the 13th a little bit. We talked more booyahs, and I, I talked about... And that's about, next Saturday, right? That's next Saturday, the Booyah Awards, September, or February 21st at Cosmic Monkey. And then I tell my story about the Coraline after party. Uh, and hobnobbing with, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman and Terry Hatcher uh, and Brad Bird. More hobnobbing with Brad Bird. That's right. All right. With uh, lots of cocktails and food. Well, my apologies about the the uh, brevity of today's segment. Hey, man, it's all right. So, I just love being here. You know that. Well, thank I, you very much. Well, maybe I we can have you on uh, like, sometime next week again. Okay, sure. I'd love to. Yeah. Kristen Bowie, hello. hello. Musicology coming up this Sunday, 7 to 9. What could people expect from this episode of Musicology, Kristen? Oh, well, we're going to be interviewing Manny Moore this weekend. Which awesome. She, <laughs> I have never gotten such an audience response when I've announced that we're going to be doing an interview. Ask her so. why she's married. That douchebag Brian Adams. Same thing I said. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I can't even say it because I always want to say Brian Adams uh-huh. automatically. Oh no, he's such a he's such a knob. Like yeah. uh, I don't know what she's she's such, yeah. And we've had her on the show, too, and she was just so sweet and smart and, and nice. And that's the same girl. thing I told James. I'm like, well, you got to ask her about Ryan Adams. That's Zach Braff, too. She dated him for oh, a while, no. and I guess he's just kind he's of a, slimy he's a and nozzle. icky. And, yeah. yeah. All right. and did she have low self-esteem? Perhaps. Come on. Probably. Uh, yeah, she did lose that to Christina Aguilera. We're also going to be talking about musicians whose persona supersedes their actual musical abilities, and we're also going to be discussing what specific elements dates a record, a song, an album, an artist from a specific era. So, i.e., auto tune. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, all right, eight oh eight and heartbreak. <laughs> that we would. We, Connie West is, by the way, the he's the confluence of both because he is the dating it to this era by auto tuning that whole record and the persona which detracts from his his massive musical abilities. Did you know auto tune actually originated from the oil industry? I did not know. Yes, that. it was originally used and still is to um, use seismic sound waves to locate oil under. 
Why do you know these things? Because I read. Wow. <laughs> okay, Ketzel, thanks so much. <laughs> it's a the ball day, everybody. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> all right. Hey, I'm going home. F you all. Uh, the Rick Emerson Show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon, who makes magic out of madness every day. Uh, on the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, uh, CBS uh, Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Don't F with me, Reynolds. At the news desk today, Lisa Hughes, we want to thank Ketzel Levine, Scott Daly, and Kristen Bowie, Musicology this Sunday night, uh, 7 to 9. As always, thank you for listening. Be safe and watch out for, you know, stuff and things and... Goodbye. I barely knew her. <laughs>